Hello and welcome to another episode of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekky perspective. I'm Liam Dempsey and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt Brothers. Hello. And we are also joined by a special guest, uh, as Paul is absent once again, but... As I say, we have a very special guest to replace him for this episode. We have Sophie Petzl. Welcome to the show. Oh, hi. Thanks. Very, hi. very happy to have you here. For those who do not know, who are you and what do you do? Oh, I might also be one of those people who does not know. Uh, I, I'm a writer. I've written uh, I've written four TV shows, such as The Last Kingdom, Riviera, or Medici, Masters of Florence on Netflix. And I've also created my own shows, Blood, which was on Channel 5, and Virgin Media, uh, both series one and two. And then more recently, Hollington Drive, which was just out on ITV. Amazing. So yeah, Hollington Drive literally just gone out, hasn't yes. it? It's literally just finished up On now. ITV Hub, if uh, that is, is that, your Is that for really thing. good to have that out in the world now? Because how uh, long, it feels how long? really good for it to no longer be going out live <laughs> i find that whole process incredibly difficult uh, when anything goes out it's just you know it's, it's it's rewarding it's amazing but um overall i feel like i i often feel just horrible when my show is going out and so i always enjoy it more when it's mm, out like i just want it to all be out there now yeah, yeah and it's just over um, especially when it's you know both blood i think they both went out daily whereas Hollington drive went out once a week so mm. it was just this protracted like the dread would build and build and then you'd have this horrible day and waiting for it to go out and then you'd feel awful and then you'd be waiting for the next day for people to, to see whether it went well or not and then you know be okay and then the dread would dissipate uh-huh. And then they'll come back. Yeah, so, yeah, I find... I find it, Normally, I think what I would choose to do is, like, go on holiday. Uh, but that's not really a, <laughs> an option at the minute. So you are just sort of stuck. And it's not like I can sort of text my... Like, a lot of my family are watching it. And I'm like, where can I go and not watch it? So um, <laughs> at one point, I nearly went to a women's football game. And I thought... There's a part of me just thought, one day you're going to be, like, 80. And you're going to think, why didn't I just sit and, like, watch my show go out live on a, you know, a major chat broadcaster <laughs> to millions of people? Like, calm down and get over yourself. Uh, we, but, yeah, I find it very difficult. Were you one for checking reactions in between the weeks? No, though? I've stopped that. Uh-huh. I've stopped that. On, on Blood, I was very, like, I was checking it all the time. Are you talking about Twitter live Twitter, reviews, yeah. stuff like that. And um, Hollington, I just made a decision very early on that I just wasn't going mm-hmm. to. And like, I think it had to be like, and I thought I'm never going to keep to that because I'm <laughs> too online. Uh, but I did. It's really easy. It's really easy to not check. Uh, so no, I was actually quite sort of pleasingly in the dark uh, about all of that. I mean, the, the, the general reaction to shows on ITV on Twitter is like, why are they washing the dishes with their hands? Don't they have a dishwasher? <laughs> or like, I fucking hate this ad about Subaru. Like, you know, it, it's it's mainly stuff like, oh, the favourite. I can't hear it. You're not, <laughs> you're not, you're not gaining. And like, you know, I've, I've talked to my colleague who like sits there and reads it all the time. And I'm like, what are you gaining from this? Because it's, you're not learning anything. You're like, mm-hmm. you know, the famous TV sound issue that your, your nan is always talking about like, <laughs> is not something that begins in the mix. Like, you know, when it's put out on ITV the sound is perfect but there's um, I think there's some great conspiracy going on between TV manufacturers and TV production (laughs) and that like for some reason our TVs just don't play drama very well but like there's nothing that we can do about that so I'm like so what are you learning from this just don't just don't do it it's very easy to not once you decide 
I'm not checking all this because you don't really benefit from it. It's nice when you get like people enjoying it and stuff, and that's really nice. But does the idea of one of your shows going out uh, being something they cover on Gogglebox um, fill you with dread? Uh, uh, just like yeah. having to watch people on another show react. Yeah, no, to... I, I I think we had it in Ireland. I don't know if we had it with Hollington. We might have done, but I didn't want to know about it. Uh, no, I don't want to know about no. it. I, it's, it's I I I I no, I've I've become very um, literally in the space of a few weeks. I've gone full on. Oh, I never want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> Yeah, which is quite weird. It's quite weird given that you put so much effort into this, and then you know, when it goes out, you're yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to be involved in that. My job's done. Um, the bit Have I fun enjoy... out there. Exactly. <laughs> the bit I enjoy is writing it. Because <laughs> how long were you working on Hollington Drive in terms of right? Because it's four episodes, right? Yeah. Well, longer than we normally would have done because of the pandemic. So we were yeah. delayed. We the shoot was delayed by several months, um, but it meant that we got longer on the scripts. Um, so I was probably writing on it. On uh, probably about six months. Okay. Um, I don't, I, you know, I don't take too long to write things. It, um, but the time span would have been longer than that. I think we were probably writing it for about a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also your writing, um, I've seen both series of Blood and everything like that. Is quite, you know, they it's a thriller. I get the impression Hollands and Drives that it is the same. Says it's quite propulsive in terms of like it's moving. It's a moving serialized story from each episode, to each episode, and everything like that. And there's a mystery card building. Mm. Yeah, when you're in the writing process, it must be quite kind of you know you're once you've started, you're kind of like going on yeah, that I mean, chain. Uh, both of those shows were uh, produced or exec by Jonathan Fisher at West Road Pictures, who's like a very good friend of mine, sort of outside of television. So we find that that like that. I mean, that's a really, a really successful and fun partnership, and it also means that like so when we start uh, a blood or a hollington drive we have like two weeks together and in, in my flat or walking around parks where i've got like whiteboards up in here and we're just sort of beating it out to like the end and figuring out our major tent poles and the big plot twists and the thriller beats and stuff and and then i go away and write more fleshed out outlines and stuff like that so yeah like i start writing having a fairly clear idea of where i'm going and what i'm doing and usually then it's quite quick for me to write and often or you know when you get greenlit by a channel they're asking for it uh, we didn't have this issue on hollington because of the pandemic but often when you get greenlit it's like okay can you shoot it yesterday um <laughs> you know it takes 2 years to make a decision as to whether you're going to get a show or not but then once you've got a decision you have to make it next week <laughs> yeah, yeah. so um so yeah often you're sort of writing to the clock which can be um, thrilling and can be can really push you to sort of make your mind up and make bolder choices, but it can also be terrifying. But you were talking about reactions. Uh, I would have thought, I mean, in the case of Blood, certainly, uh, obviously with Holland and Drive, it's kind of early days, but with Blood, I would have thought you were really pleased with the reaction because it seemed to me, at least, that that show kind of kick-started Channel 5's move into original drama. I know yeah. that there were a couple of Channel 5's like original dramas prior to that like Suspects and stuff like that but certainly Blood seemed to be the thing that made them make that proper push into it yeah we, we felt I mean I felt, I'm really really proud of Blood and um, I, and because it, it wasn't just for Channel 5 that that was true either you know we were making it in Ireland on an Irish channel Virgin Media 1 which had been TV3 right which was sort of like their ITV and we were working with Element Pictures out there who make you know all the movies that win all the Oscars and stuff and they're incredibly brilliant and the kind of the received thinking was that like Ireland for all that it's so it's a tiny country that's massively overrepresented in filmmaking like it's incredible how such a small country 
is up for Oscars every year with either actors or movie makers or directors or like Irish films. The filmmaking culture there is so premium and high end and they don't really feature in television. Mm. And there was like a culture of like wanting to change that. I know Element kind of wanted to change that. And we sort of just felt like we were part of like a kind of an emerging movement over there. And then same for here for Channel 5. So like there was a sort of a nice feeling of no one's expecting that much. No one really knows how to... Like, no one who's commissioned this, you know, has never made, like, 15 million hours of television before. They're all kind of trusting us to just know what we're doing. We kind of just got left alone to make a show. Yeah. And no one had, like, too much of a set tone. Like, here's what, it ha- here's what a Channel 5, or here's what a yeah. uh, uh, Virgin Media drama has to look like. So we just sort of got to make what we wanted to make. And what I was so pleased with, about with Blood was how, like... It's not often that, like, you watch a show and it's exactly what you imagined. Like, that's right. what I was picturing. Mm-hmm. That's a really good, like, representation of what I was picturing when I wrote this. It felt like we were all imagining the same thing. That's still of... be so rare to find as well. It is quite rare. And it, and often, like, often stuff comes out that you don't imagine it at all. And that's all to the good as well. Mm. But it's quite rare that you were all sort of, from the casting to locations to lens choice to the photography to sound, music, mm. um, pacing... To be in sync on all mm. of those things it's is like quite this is something. baseline what I wanted, and if there's anything different, it's better. It's yeah, and, 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 and so that I was really, really proud of that. I think the, I think it resonated with quite a few people. It was very personal. It was very personal to me, particularly the ending. We we talk about how often like people who really responded to blood, like the the memory that sticks out for them is the ending of of season one which was just a sort of performance powerhouse from our two leads. Yeah, that finale is really, really great and really, like, uh, obviously not to spoil, because I know there's going to be a lot of people who haven't, like, seen it, and it's definitely something that I recommend. But that finale, I think, in terms of, like, storytelling, goes a very different way than one would expect for a finale to, like, a thriller, and in a really great way like as it completely essentially upends kind of like your expectations it was so fun to write as well because it was a completely different cast essentially like you know because yeah. it all sort of been led by like the younger members of the like the children mm. in in the first five, uh, five episodes and then come the finale it's it's the mum and the dad yeah. and it's just the two of them in the house really and it felt like I was writing. I, I sort of imagined I was like writing kind of an episode of Last Tango in Paris. So <laughs> I, I just really, really enjoyed it because it didn't feel like it had to carry any of the burdens of, um, of you know, plot reveals like pacing. Mm. Like it just felt like you got to t- tell quite a reflective relationship story, and I really enjoyed like the formlessness of that. But yeah, no, you're always proud of everything that you've done in a sort of a, in a way, and like, um, but um, but yeah, no, Blood as being the first thing that I did myself but also being part of a kind of a movement for channel five into that space and it was really exciting to sort of see articles in broadcast magazine you know like from ian katz you know the head of channel four kind of referring to blood as like the kind of drama that we should be making in the uk you know like ambitious in scale but not necessarily in for money even though now i'm like oh god have we started this <laughs> have we started this like path to ruin like uh, undermining the pay of every creator in the country <laughs> but blood was made for cheap and we don't think it looked cheap or felt no, cheap and, it doesn't. and but, but but we achieved that by working with people who well a in ireland are very used to working on very small budgets for like for and and and, and, and fat working fast as well but the other thing was people who have filmmaking sensibilities like indie filmmaker sensibilities because yeah. often you can work with very successful talented tv directors 
who kind of only really know TV directing and they know how what, what, how much money will get you how many days and if you don't have that then this is all I can give you and we, we were working with directors who like had mainly done like big short films mm. and sort of took that opportunity and ran with it rather than going I can't do this I don't know how to do this you know there's a lot of like standing on your head with the camera balanced on your feet trying to get the perfect <laughs> shot and you don't really get that sort of on the fly everyone's kind of improvising together um, in telly very much and that felt quite special the first season it is so kind of laser focused of putting this almost nemesis story between yeah. daughter and father, which is a really like different kind of thing. And that's what it feels like because it feels so much there at such loggerheads. And obviously you've got two great actors in the lead there mm. and literally just them going at each other. And it's just, yeah, really, really gripping. And it is really, it does feel like an indie movie. And it is really well shot, that kind of misty feel that it has. Mm. Like, you know, and like when you get to that penultimate episode, like climax, that is a moment that you've got to, that's got to be well filmed and well executed to pull off because it is like, it's a huge, huge moment. Yeah. And, but it's at the same time, it feels like if handled in the wrong way, filmed in the wrong way, it might not work. And then, like, yeah. you know, and it, it, it totally does, and the performances and everything just came together on it. Yeah. Like, what was really interesting in terms of when the second series, like, in terms of, because the second series, I would say, is, is very different in lots of ways. Mm. It's kind of thing, like, you know, and it's essentially almost like a new chapter yeah. with the same kind of characters. I assume when you first went into Blood, especially with Channel 5, and the kind of thing, this was all a very new thing, a, a second series wouldn't be guaranteed. So what were the kind of writing challenges when you got that second season? We'd go, like, okay, now we need to see what happens next. Here. Well, funnily enough, when we were pitching season one we just thought somebody's gonna ask us like can this return so we should have a loose idea of what a second series would be and so we had like i just sort of had like a one-line pitch i think at one point it was like oh god it was gonna be really bleak at one point like you know is it gonna be kids in the car like uh, but somebody was gonna be dead in a car and the sister was gonna be what the fuck happened yeah and, and that was, was a one-line pitch and mm. it was just thinking like well no one's gonna want it to come back but you know money people always ask you like are we gonna get more of this so that we can sell it and you go yeah sure yeah and here's the idea and they don't even care if it's any good. They're like, fine, great, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, so, um, so no, we did. I did have, and it was interesting to us then how as series one developed and that phenomenal actress Gronja Keenan, who we cast as Fiona, sort of came into her own so strongly. We were then felt even more justified placing her at the centre yeah. in season two. And obviously the idea sort of really evolved and changed a lot compared to what it had been. But no, it was sort of there from the get-go. You, it had to like evolve because, you know, I think we had a lot of conversations with people who were worried like that you were going to get Midsummer Murders syndrome and like, wow, is this like the unluckiest family in the world? Or, <laughs> and I wanted it to, be, to feel like that at the end you sort of felt all of these things have happened because of the last thing that's happened. Right. That that season two doesn't happen without season one. This isn't just yeah. a family that kills people. It's not just like, a random reset every time. No, that like she's in this position yeah. because of what... Yeah, and so it just felt like... It, we wanted it to feel like a, nat a kind of... A, a dramatic and a drastic one, but a natural evolution, mm, mm. rather than just like, and now today the brother murders somebody <laughs> for some reason. And um, so you then had to come up with a set of circumstances that you think could be inflamed by the, the incidents of season yeah. one and what's yeah. been going on behind the scenes that we haven't noticed. I, I will say in that show, because it is essentially, and this isn't a spoiler because this is the concept of the show, is it is about a daughter who suspects that her father has murdered her mother. Yeah. And like it's then her kind of, you know, essentially trying to investigate that and try to prove that her theory is correct throughout yeah. the show. 
and you really get proper on her side. Like, she really draws you in. The main character of Cat yeah. really draws you to be, like, you're totally with her because it feels like that a really frustrating thing where you're with a lead character and everyone else is going, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. Yeah. And you're like, no, she's not. Because <laughs> you're with her, but she also does not help herself. And that was no. always really fun to write as well. Because again, writing episode two, there's a moment where um, there's a moment where I think she learned something from the nurse and doctor surgery, which, which suggests that her dad hadn't been there when he said he had been. Then she comes back to the family home to find that the priest has been and that they've excluded her from like the funeral conversations. And dad is like, oh no, I did tell you that was happening. And he's like, she's like, no, you fucking didn't. And again, you're sort of writing with that kind of formulaic head on, going like, and then she's going to present that key piece of evidence. And blah, blah, blah. and I just thought, like, I don't know, you just you have a moment where you're like, hang on, I don't have to, like, write this to some commissioner or some exec who, or, or, or any kind of formula. This is my thing. What, what, what would I do here? And I thought, like, I would shit the bed. I would shit the bed and reveal something <laughs> that I shouldn't have done and say the wrong thing and everyone thinks I'm fucking crazy. And I feel like writing that scene was, was like, I think this is the tone of the show because she mm. does just sort of blurt out, mm. well, you weren't there. And then because she doesn't think about what she's saying, he's able to just mm. write it off really easily. And she Yeah, I mean, he's um, fucking smooth. Agent Dunbar, smooth as their daddy, he is smooth in that show. In a way that, because it was so obviously, he has become most famous for exactly. playing Ted Hastings mm. in Line of Duty. And obviously he's everyone's like favourite granddad in Line of Duty. Yeah. Like everyone loves him. Although even though he has a dark side in Line mm. of Duty as well. But in this, where you kind of essentially he's set up as seemingly the antagonist, like he feels different, very different in blood, where it's like that thing. He's got that smoothness to him, but he feels really dangerous and yeah. really kind of intimidating. He's a big dude, Adrian Dunbar, at yeah. the end of that. And it's like, you kind of forget because he's quite in line even though he's shooting Balakava men in he's the head. Very he's very amiable, amiable yeah. and pleasant, isn't he? Now, he's a, he does inscrutable really well. Like, yeah. really unreadable and this sense of, like, menace. He can do fantastic, but he can also be incredibly charming, yeah. which is why... Yeah. You know, he uh, the idea, like, from very early on when we were plotting it, I was like, oh, my God, this is Adrian Dunbar, right? Like, somebody who one minute is incredibly charming and he couldn't have done anything, and the next he's sinister and creepy, and you're like, what the fuck, he definitely did it. And um, we sort of wanted all of that, and we were just so lucky that, you know, you, for us, we were, like, shooting for the moon, and he read them and was like, yeah, I'd love to do this, and it was just like, oh, my God, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. amazing. And you totally believe he could be some, like, Irish mob godfather. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, that was season three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, feels so long ago now, my God. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. I assume that season three is something that is not happening. No, no, like, no. Yeah, 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 like, <laughs> no, literally. No. Is that you were like, I want to wrap it up? Or kind of thing, like, you know, I think we talked what, yeah. about, like, loosely wrapping it up with, like, uh, two episodes or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. But, um, but I think we'd all just moved on a bit. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to be doing something else, and... Yeah, no, it just, it was never, uh, you know, I think we, we had a second series, we were really, really happy with that, and then I think that we just wanted to sort of move on a bit. So you never say never, you never know what might come back, but no, there's no plans to do that at the minute. Yeah, I mean, for people who haven't seen it, I definitely recommend checking it out, and I will say it, does, it totally, well, I would say both seasons, like, work in terms of both endings of each season could have been the ending of the show. Yeah. Like, because they both wrap up their stories. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. There's right. no, I don't think you end it feeling like, hang on, what the fuck? Like, yeah, uh, there's yeah, no yeah, sort yeah. of wild cliffhangers. But um, yeah, for sure. 
Awesome, awesome, amazing stuff. So, we are the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective, so we always ask all of our guests, because every guest occasionally is a Star Trek fan, occasionally isn't. But well, we every... need Trekkies to support us on this show, so... Everyone, everyone <laughs> tends to have some kind of exposure with Star Trek, so we're going to ask you a Star Trek credentials. So, what have you seen? What haven't you seen? What are your favourites? What was your first experience with Trek? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so uh, my mum is a huge Trekkie. Okay. So I grew up in a Trekkie household because of my mum. I, I think the first... I can't remember the timelines specifically, but the first Star Trek I was probably exposed to was Next Generation. But as a kid, I didn't find that particularly interesting. It was a lot of old men. <laughs> um, uh, but Voyager was where I became like I was obsessed with Voyager I loved it mum watched Next Gen she watched Voyager she watched Deep Space Nine I, I think she probably watched the original series as well but um, that wasn't I, when I, we were growing up the repeat, repeats of all of these were always on Sky yeah, or yeah. Channel BBC Two mm-hmm. and um, so we were always watching like Deep Space Nine and Next Gen and Voyager but I as a kid thought Next Gen was boring um, thought Deep Space Nine was boring but I thought Voyager was like great because it had action and stuff like that and now like I watch Voyager I'm like fucking hell this is stupid <laughs> and, um, and from the bits of Deep Space Nine I said oh I'd love Deep Space Nine now I need to like proper, properly watch it so I'd say I'd say I'm I, I classify myself as a Star Trek fan but I'm embarrassingly unknowledgeable about the stuff that people think is good Star Trek I I'm I have on occasion been like encyclopedic on Voyager, but um, but if if it's been like a year mm. since I've watched, it, I totally forget it. Well, that's it to be the fan of what you like. That's yeah. That's why there's so much. You know, there's a smorgasbord of Trek content everywhere. I watch Discovery as well. I like yeah. I like Discovery, but it doesn't feel very Trek. Um, it feels quite um, it's like YA Netflix Trek, doesn't mm. it? It's it's not. It, it doesn't feel. It doesn't have the. I think yeah, because I think about this with Star Wars as well. Like when I say like it doesn't feel like that. Like what do I what what feeling am I talking about? It might be a feeling that you just can't recreate because it's a feeling mm. that you had when you were nine. Well, that's the thing, a nostalgia feeling, because it's funny because obviously we were not big trackies when we started the show. Like I'd seen the movies kind of thing, like and but Matt had literally only seen like the first two JJ films and like nothing right. else and stuff like that. And <laughs> so that was great. that was the whole thing. Like that's how we came from like outside perspective. And I think watching it, so we've suddenly in the last five years just watched tons and tons of fucking right. Star Trek. And to me, as someone who, although I did watch odd episodes of TNG and stuff when I was a kid, but was never a big fan, I watched Discovery, and to me, it does feel like really Trek, in terms of what I kind of view Guy Trek as, is like you say, is that the characters tend to be quite robotic in a weird way, in terms of almost like in a weird aloof kind of thing, because we just covered Hollow Pursuits, from Star Trek Next Generation, which introduced Reginald Barclay. And oh. that episode is all about that. It's <laughs> about the thing of actually the characters, the main characters in Star Trek world, actually do feel a bit above it all and a bit aloof for the <clears throat> stage. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I think... because. I, I, my my conclusions to myself about Star Trek and Star Wars, about what feeling do I mean, I think a lot of it is to do with sound. Right. And sets. Like, Star Wars, you associate lots of sounds with Star Wars. And like I feel like Star Trek, there's general hum. In the old yeah. Star Trek, there's a hum to the... Hum of the, the bridge. The hum of mm-hmm. the bridge, but also the hum of the like the, the corridors. Yeah. And the, the, the bleeping, a very specific type yeah. of computer. You know, and um, the bleeping of the tricorders. Even, like, 
I, 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 I have like a smell for Voyager as well in my head, which also sounds really weird. And and I think Discovery was the first one where they really, apart from Enterprise, which I also they didn't feel particularly mm. trek to me because of this, like where they really changed up the set and the design and the and the costuming, the the, the reds and the yellows, mm. like kind of all disappear until what's his name, original Captain arrives. Oh, Pike, oh, Pike. Yeah, Pike. yeah, Christopher um, Pike. Yeah. yeah, when all that sort of comes back in. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I think for me as well as the characters, for good or for ill, in Next Gen Deep Space Nine and Voyager and I was banging onto the pilot TV podcast a lot about this as well like all feel like grown ups who have kind of intellectual yeah. mature thoughts and in Discovery they're all like grown up teenagers like right. I love Tilly I just don't believe yeah. for a second that she's like is that all quite emblematic of, of modern TV yeah. writing do you think like whereas uh, everything is a bit YA yeah. now yeah and coming from a episodic standpoint that the old shows had it meant you could just delve more into the story and the characters rather than have to worry about tying everything into a Star big Star Trek always thing. felt like it was about ideas. Mm, so like, you yeah. know, you, you know, you, but you would have these like self-contained character stories for Picard or any of the crew, but they were sort of largely about ideas and ideology and like dilemmas. What would, you know, what must man do in yeah. this scenario? <laughs> like, you know, there's no real person, the personal journey for Picard in Darmok at Jalad is the same as ours. It is how, like, do I figure out how to communicate with somebody who doesn't communicate my language you know it's it's not sort of a and then he learns to accept himself and i think what we've changed into is much more like personal storytelling is like less about ideas more about characters mm. and it's not that i think that you lose character from having idea based storytelling but like for sure now it's like you know that in the writers and they're going but how does michael change because of this and it's not like that's new or bad but it's very the character led is like the thing at the minute but i sometimes think what we think character-led is is not always what it mm. means um you could be idea-led but still have the characters anchoring it all yeah because if those characters are really well realized yeah. you don't really need them to know and a lot of the time in old-fashioned episodic television you didn't want your characters to go on journeys because they need to reset and go back to the beginning like you know picard literally gets turned into a fucking ball <laughs> and forgets about it next i'm fine week. i um, mean he has to go to a vineyard for one episode but then it's and tv back you know back when it was like you know massively syndicated 25 episode orders for broadcast television with advertisers it needed to run and run and run and run for hundreds and hundreds of years the characters couldn't go on epic emotional journeys and i think that's changed that yeah and now we expect our characters to go on emotional journeys Mm. well they will but just for one episode so in the inner light or whatever like he's like it's almost like right we need to cram like 70 years lifetime in one one episode but now nowadays in our television we expect serialization that would be a season now the inner light would be an entire season Michelle Yeoh is stuck in a vineyard in the 1920s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, vague memories. (laughs) Um, And so I I think what that often leads to, particularly just this modern style of like writing sci-fi, is that like sci-fi is now for like young people, Mm. Um, and like you've got to have characters talking about like their mental health. And the fact that mental health and all that stuff gets kind of um, sequestered into like young people only subject matter on TV is something that's really weird to me. I was. I think. I. I. I yeah. I, you get a lot more of like characters talking about their feelings and like and crying at work and stuff. <laughs> in in like, and I often look at Discovery and I go, "This is a fucking dysfunctional workplace." Whereas I look at Voyager and I go, "This is a workplace drama. Everyone's behaving relatively professionally." Yeah. Um, well, we said about Hollow Pursuits, didn't we? That all of a sudden 
the sheen had been taken off all our favourite characters because yes. we're seeing them be mean bosses and stuff and it's like this would be a like intimidating place to drop in and work whereas yeah. like you say the discovery feels like it's a, a high school or it's a high yeah. school yeah. Well, well, but that's the thing isn't it I think it's it's to do with a uh, part of it's to do with relatability mm. in terms of I never relate to like the characters or, or rarely relate to the characters on like TNG or yeah. something like that because it's like they're not they're deliberately unrelatable to yeah. me in terms of like a Gene Roddenberry's like vision for that show as a, an Obviously, it kind of got taken away from him as it went mm-hmm. on. But it's this thing of, like, yeah, non-conflict and kind of, like, all the characters kind of act... He was very into this thing. And it, in a way, it's very, it's very forward-thinking in terms of, in his vision, his belief was, like, basically, when we get to this, the 21st century or whatever, we have genuinely moved on as a people. So, actually, the people we are meeting in those shows should feel disconnected from us. Like, they should feel almost slightly, to me, inhuman. Yeah. Because it's like going, the human race has evolved and moved on. So actually, in a weird way, that is probably more realistic in some ways in terms of going, oh, humanity has evolved and it wouldn't be completely recognisable. Whereas Discovery or those kind of shows, he's kind of bring it back to be like, well, let's make those characters relatable to now. But they're in a sci-fi yeah. setting. Oh, I mean, boy, yeah. did Roddenberry call that fucking wrong, didn't yeah. he? You know, in the future, we're all just going to be past conflict. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, Non-Scarian gonna... society. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to be united and furthering our, like, we're bettering ourselves with intellectualism yeah. and culture. No. Um, my God, he called that wrong. <laughs> Poor Rodgers. It's, um, so, it's so awful. We did an episode on the vision of Star Trek with a political filmmaker, Paul Sung, and, like, just talking about how you look at his vision and obviously it's, there's loads of really great stuff about it but you're like literally at this point you're like how the fuck are we as a society yeah, we're gonna I, get I think, there I think like, like, you know, they, they were post in the 60s they're post-war yeah. they're cold war there's they're the arms race there's like there was an awful lot of like grief and pain in history but then there was now like they were going to the stars like yeah i think it was a time of like enormous change and um I think now we're in a time of deep cynicism. The billionaires go yeah. to space. That's we're in happens. a time of deep, deep mm-hmm. cynicism, and it's fine because I, I, it's funny because I often think of like pre and post nine eleven television, and I we're we're now post post nine mm-hmm. eleven television, and we're sort of post that kind of America the broken. We've gone back into hope in the human heart, and like if we're kind, if we're hashtag be kind, everything's gonna be fine. And discovery sort of a bit like that. And I think you're right about the relatability. And part of me is always like, why is it always young people who are seen as relatable? But at the same time, I, you know, that's possibly something to do with Netflix's demographics as well. But the, I, you know, I think for me, what I find less tricky about it is that. You know, when you have that bridge crew, even though I think part of the problem with Discovery is I still don't know who the fucking bridge crew are. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, all, they're all just incredibly generic, beautiful 20-somethings. Incredibly perfect. Like, there's no older pudgy guy. They're, even, you know, like, the oldest crew, mm-hmm. the oldest crew members still look... It's Michelle fucking Yeo, and she looks incredible. Yeah, like, I mean, Michelle Yeo's in her 60s, and she looks insane. And she's mental, absolutely like, part yeah, of the conspiracy yeah, yeah. of young pretty people. Like, yeah. she's, yeah, she, the, the, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, if they all line up and pose, it's a they, magazine shoot. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, all look like high school, yeah. high school space musical. In a way that I actually think the J.J. Abrams... Because I remember when they first announced the J.J. Abrams doing Young Trek, and they had the cast list, and I was like, oh, my God, it literally is high school musical in space. But you don't feel that and I think part of that no. is like 
quality of acting as well. I think, I think, oh my God, why well, can't I remember his name? He plays Spock in that. Uh, Zachary Quinto. Zach, Zach Who is excellent. He's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's an amazing actor. And I think Chris Pine is so good as he's well. He's brilliant. Yeah, and, and there's like a mix of age ranges and physicalities in that. And um, I I'd lo- I just would love to go to like the casting department on, on, on discovering. Like, could we just get somebody like 40 plus? <laughs> like, that would be great. Because like they have like different colours and sizes, but they're all like 25. Yeah. And and yeah, that's the thing. I was like, why are they all so young? And 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 then yeah. Well, it was different in season one. Obviously, yeah, Jason Isaacs leading the show. Yes. Unlike uh, who was fantastic as Lorca, and in secondly, you had Anson Mount as Spike, who was also fantastic. Yeah. And now I now think it's like the unsupervised field trip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unsupervised field trip to the future, <laughs> yeah. and then you just got the guy from the Mummy who comes along yeah. to be like you bad kids, no, like. Kids. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, because yeah. Anthony Rapp is in his forties. There's something about just the way it's shot as well. Like, they, they are all meant. They've made them all look incredibly beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. and I don't know. There's something about mm. the tone. Like they all look very young, feel very young. They speak very young. The ideas are often sort of very youthy, um, or like kind of young people culture, sort of dealing with like issues arising out of like youth discourse, mm. um, but feeling very relevant in a way that Star Trek always took kind of modern day issues and then threw them into the future and said, "Here's what that discussion will look like in a hundred years time." And I feel like now what it's doing is going, here's that conversation now. For instance, you know, they had an incredible couple of young actors, um, I think a non-binary actor and a trans actor in, 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 in the most recent Discovery. Yeah. They dealt like they dealt really sensitively with a lot of those subject matters, but part of me felt quite I don't know, as a queer kid growing up, Star Trek always felt like this kind of exciting future. And for the first time watching Star Trek, I just had this weird feeling of a bit being feeling a bit depressed. Watching Discovery, like, I can't believe that like on a fucking spaceship 3,000 years from now, she's having to like, uh, like they're having to ask mm. like, oh, can you refer to me by my pronouns, please? I think in today's culture, yeah, having yeah. audiences see that is great. Yeah. Like there's, you know, this is not a, mm. this is more just a, this is not a kind of a condemnation or a criticism of the storytelling as much as to me what Trek represents and yeah. what, and, like, and future horizon scanning. And mm. I, I think for the first time ever watching, I just went, oh my fucking God, like I, I'm, mm. I'm going to be on a spaceship in 3000 years time and still. Yeah, it's tricky because they're in that position where it's like, it's great to highlight highlight these things but you could do it in a way where let's just see how well, it is I, I would love yeah, I think yeah. I'd love to see the version it was like okay yeah. well, what's this conversation like actually in a thousand years time like, and I, I think I was hoping when it announced yeah. that house of like that we were going to have this sort of oh have... ideas coming back into yeah, it like, yeah. or, or you have a character where like it's t- you find a way to like broadcast how accepted and normal this is mm. because Gender identity and and, 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 and trans identity and, and all of that was explored in like next gen and stuff mm. and in that time that felt very horizon scanning and everyone's like oh my god what's all this but and and now feels incredibly kind of relevant to us now and I suppose I was sort of quite excited to see that there might be like a futurist story to tell here and but I think I, I think they're still having to do the baby steps part yeah like... and I think a lot of television is doing this like it's all mm. I think and I think because of the, the, our context like. You know, the 60s was all about the future. And I mm. think at the minute we're very obsessed with right here, right here and now because we are living currently in a very, very difficult time. We're trying to unpack that mm. in television. It's a hard oh, time yes. to have future set stories. <laughs> but yeah, because we can't imagine the future at yeah. the minute. And I, I, I think, I think as I say, like, when, when, you, when you are a futurist society, you imagine and dream about the future. And I think right now we're all very caught up in ourselves, understandably. And I think there's a degree to which culturally we, we, we're not looking into the yeah, future. We, we can't picture there is a future. We can't picture it. It doesn't yeah, look yeah, very yeah. good. <laughs> uh, we're not without fixing what's broken now. 
And um, so I think that's why I feel a lot of TV that I watch, I'm like, oh, that's going to date in a week because it feels <laughs> like we're talking about Brexit all the fucking time. Yeah, yeah. Like, all British TV like is about Brexit or in one way or another or Trump. You know, it, it, Star Trek making like references to like, you know, like, this was written by people who were like screaming into the void about Trump. Now, um, yeah, we're very caught up mm. in the present day as yeah. writers, I think, and it shows on telly. Well, I think it's that thing of with sci-fi shows, I think, I have to think it's like almost, obviously you can still confront those issues because obviously you look at things like TNG and they, they really did confront those kind of issues like within, but just using analogies and stuff mm. like that. Whereas actually you go like, yeah, well, you can still do that, but you really don't need to do that thing in terms of like you say you're hiring the non-binary actor and everything like that it's like that's great make them a main character and everything like that but actually like you say it doesn't make sense if we're looking towards or still working on that utopian vision like for her to be kind of like making or them to be saying that kind of you know having to announce their pronouns and everything like that but it doesn't make sense because surely that wouldn't be an issue because those discussions we're having now. So therefore like surely that wouldn't be a thing. It's like even obviously when the show was announced, main characters called Michael. Yeah. And I remember loads of people like now be like, what? The main characters called Michael, but they're a woman. Yeah. What is going? Like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but that's understandable because there's a lot of dumb people right now. <laughs> but in the show, in the actual show, Tilly actually turns around to Michael and goes, I've never met a woman called Michael before. And I'm like, why is that line in there? Because if we're having these discussions now, by the time you hit this time, there'll be loads of fucking people with well, like... One of my predictions is because I... Because at first, like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. They've called her called Michael. And now I'm like, that's a great name. I'd love like, yeah, a, a great girl's it. name. Because actually when you think about names, they're just fucking letters in an order. Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean anything. But they shouldn't have commented on it. Why? Yeah. What, because I, I'm I like, do... that wouldn't be a thing. I think I think every Star Trek arrives in in its generation and has a belief system about the future and has a set of values about like what mm. do they want to discuss and I think this Trek very much wants to sort of deal with the here and now and that's not my personal preference but I still respect the hell out of them yeah. doing it but that was yeah it was my own, like, as a sort of an audience member not overthinking it my first reaction to those scenes was like oh that's a shame that they still have to do that. But I'm sure there are a thousand people who watch them and went, that's fucking great. It was on television, it was on Netflix and it's on Star Trek and I fucking love that and that's great. But no, it's, um, yeah, when I think about, uh, is it Kirk who kisses? Uhura. Uhura. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of all the times on the Enterprise when I was scared to death. And I would see you so busy at your command. And I would hear your voice from all parts of the ship. And my fears would fade. And now they're making me tremble. But I'm not afraid. I am not afraid. The discovery version of that would be like someone is racist to Ahura. And Kirk goes, don't be racist. But instead he just makes out with her. That's like, that's the 20 years in the future. Yeah, One day yeah. you're just going to make out with people who don't look like you and that's going to be cool. Yeah, that's sort of what I was looking for here. The Rather than the, the here and now issue is mm. you look for like, what's the... And I think that's because I just want, I want Discovery to grow up a bit because I want Star Trek. I, like, you know, I, I, 
I, as a kid, I felt like watching sci-fi felt quite grown up, and now yeah. I often feel like I'm watching kids shows. Yeah, and I yeah, don't yeah. quite know. I do. Well, I do know it's because of Marvel. <laughs> It's because um, blame everything on Marvel. I love Marvel. But <laughs> yeah, God I love fuck, Marvel they've too. done because sci-fi, sci-fi and, and fantasy has now all become kids. This is YA, and um, I think I, well, I actually could probably blame the Hunger Games as well. Blame all of them. <laughs> it, it became mainstream, hugely successful in the cinema, and now like that's the biggest audience for that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I should say, I mean, regular listeners will know I love Discovery, and like I, I'm a big champion of it on this show for sure even though season three I felt was the weakest season yeah it's a shame because it's the best idea it had Voyager yeah, Syndrome yeah 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 well and also the thing is for the first two episodes of season three yeah. I thought it was amazing yeah. first two episodes where it was all new and like all were in a dark unsure future yeah. I, I was literally like oh wow this looks like Walking Dead in Space or something like that it's going to yeah. be fucking awesome and then it just as soon as they got back to Starfleet I was just like oh it's just stuff that hasn't oh. changed it's exactly the same <laughs> yeah, like, shows yeah. do that where they're like we're going to throw out all the rules and create a whole new thing and you get really yeah. excited about that and they go no it's not really we've just got rid of a load of actors yeah yeah because <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh they're still a Starfleet they're still a you know like, oh I was looking forward to like whole new aliens mm. and no. Also, just all, always the discovery thing, what annoys me is every season they introduce a brand new, regular, big characters. David Ajala is a fucking awesome actor, but at the same time, it's like, don't introduce him as a major new character when you, ha- when you haven't done anything with the actual bridge crew. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem, really. Because I, lo- I do love Discovery. I, I wang on about yeah, like, yeah, yeah. how <laughs> annoyingly immature it is a lot of the time, but I, I find it very watchable and I, I don't miss it. Um, I, I don't miss an episode. But, um, but yeah, I, that feels like the biggest misstep creatively because mm. the rest of it, I feel like, is all personal taste for me. Mm. But where I can go, like, I think that's a problem mm. that you've created for yourselves. Is... They could be doing these exact same plots, but if we had more to do with the bridge yeah. crew, we'd be like, yes, yeah. we feel more of this team. And I don't know whether it's because they've sort of, you know, they cast a bunch of like, you know, relatively new day players to just sit in the bridge and now but they're stuck with the them, or, or whether because they all seem like good enough actors. Well, yeah, this is the frustrating thing for us because. We interviewed Ronnie Rao Jr. on the podcast who plays Bryce, the comms officer. He's a genuinely great actor because when we had him on the podcast, we watched Black Cop, which was a Canadian indie film, which he was the lead of, uh, which is all about police brutality. So basically he plays like a cop who essentially goes rogue as a kind of result of police brutality and everything because he gets stopped when he's off duty by oh, wow. white cops and everything like that. It's really interesting, mm-hmm. angry, politically charged film. And he is fantastic in it. It's almost like a little bit, it's uh, kind of done in a almost like Bronson-esque right. style. It's that kind of performance. And we watched this movie and we were like, wait a minute. So what's the excuse it, then? fucking incredible. What? Yeah. And when they cast Adrian, I was like, wait a minute, why don't you just make him that character? Just go like, as in he gets stranded with Michael and then they, you know what I mean? I wonder if, I mean, so the, the way like, you know, Star Trek still sort of exists in the old-fashioned TV world of it's a long-running show, it's a long commitment. Yeah, yeah. Getting a lot of actors to like be in a show for years it's harder and harder now. Yeah. So, like, I think that's probably why they bring in these, like, great actors who will come in and do one series arc, but then you'll focus a lot of story time on them and just not really developing any of these mm, regulars. The ones who you know will be with you all the yeah, time. Yeah, and they try. Yeah. Like, every now and again, like, you know, the the the, the, helms, the helmsman, the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, ginger yeah. one with yeah, the eye Yeah, heard, like, a five-minute story. Of, yeah, about yeah. being depressed, and it was all very, like, basic bitch kind of, um, <laughs> yeah. like... Uh, 
oh, I need, yeah, you need to open up more. Yeah. And uh, now I've talked about it. My depression's cured. And <laughs> I will like, do this. I will. Thanks. I'm better now. Great. I, I'm just too tough for my own. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, Discovery, come on. Like when it does stuff well, it's so good. Like I still think of that Harry Mudd episode all the time. And like, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Brought, like tear to my yeah. eye, that one. Like that proper, again, ideas led. Big idea, I think, big idea at the heart of it, and not just because you can have then the emotional human stuff going on as sub, as like mm-hmm. not subtext, but as like yeah. the, the going the underbelly of that, the like underpinning all of it. Um, but when I think when the characters lead episodes in Star Trek, it starts to feel less like Star Trek somehow. It just becomes high school. The season one twist still incredible. Still, oh shit! Still, yeah, still, yeah, I yeah. mean that was like absolutely. drop the mic. It, amazing. Mirror universe like, yeah. Jason Isaacs. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And then the episode that came after that amazing uh, from that oh like, and Tilly know. as the evil commander and all that yeah 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 the mirror universe all that stuff. and also all the stuff with Pike in season 2 I mean literally to be fair they took a character like Christopher Pike who was this weird character in the Star Trek universe where he was really important in a weird way because he was the first ever Star mm-hmm. Trek captain but at the same time barely ever in an actual show because he's in that like first episode then like the menagerie then he's in the jj movies and it actually took him and went oh he's actually a really important character star trek lore and dedicated an entire season to him and anson mount's performance was so charismatic yeah he's great and just like and off the back of that of course they greenlit that show because it was just like holy shit this guy needs to be the lead of the show. People, I think really, they yeah. probably picked up on the fact that people are kind of pining for that old vibe, old school vibe yeah, Star yeah, Trek, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, with yeah. the funny uniforms and yeah. the number one and all this stuff. But um, yeah, less black people, like yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the worrying thing. And so, uh, well, you know, um, I, 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 or, or, no, I, I think they, they so far seem to be like you know they're, they're on the kind of the right side of everything. I think Star Trek, um, the, the the people making it. Yes. Um, I just. Um, yeah, I, I'm just I, I blow hot and cold mm. with every episode, but sometimes it's absolutely amazing. Mm. One of these new shows might be the one that you just want to come along. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, so I, yeah, I really do hope Strange New Worlds can be that because if they are doing more episodic adventures and and hopefully ideas led stuff again mm. with more of a crew that we already know a little bit about, having come off season two of Discovery, mm. then yeah, I hope they can do a big budget standalone episode series. It would be cool. That yeah, would be yeah, yeah. Cool. It's, it's also interesting to see, like, you know, we all kind of harp on about wanting that, but, like, actually, you know, in, oh, you you know, know, we watch it and go, like, oh, actually... <laughs> well, nah. But what fucking annoys me about modern TV is everyone seems to have lost track of the fact that a middle ground is possible. Because my favourite TV show ever is The Sopranos. Mm. And if you watch The Sopranos, yes, it, at the time, it was revolutionary in terms of its storytelling and season arcs, whole thing continues, everything that. And yeah, it does. But actually, every single episode is an indi- has individual stories in it, yeah. has like a singular thing where you can go, that is just this episode done in one and it, the, you were surprised you go that's that episode that's that episode that's that episode whereas any major Netflix show all the episodes just congeal into one yeah that really fell out of, so yeah I, I'm just I'm just sort of thinking back to like various meetings <laughs> or projects I've worked on where like terminology like arises out of other shows that have been successful and then fades out of fashion so when Breaking Bad came along everything was a movie mm. everything was a six episode movie oh, that and that and and then like you would hear like it's a serial with like episodic elements uh, uh, like so it'd be like oh it's an ongoing serial with uh, developing characters but like episode of the week it's a 12 episode novel yeah yeah and, yeah, and um so but that's kind of, um but the, the the whole movie thing has sort of gone out of fashion now and i think like i think people are now sort of back much more into mm. like 
there's got to be an idea in every episode. You want TV to be a bit more TV again. Yeah, 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 yeah it can't yeah. just be. I think because we're so used to now these ten episodes and like five of them don't need to be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you watch a big Netflix. patience again thing because yeah. now there's so much to watch as well. Yeah. Or, well I just also it doesn't that that movie thing. You know, the reason TV developed the way it did with like a you know back in the really old days of a plot, b plot, c plot was that like you needed to fill your hour mm-hmm. with like more than just one single storyline. Mm-hmm. But like The Sopranos, The West Wing. Um, for me, like Mad Men was like my yeah, favorite show. Mad Men phenomenal. is my favorite show yeah. of all time. And again, like that has multiple strands. Yeah, you've yeah. got like the the idea of that episode. Mostly is like, oh, today they're pitching. You know, because it's a workplace show, like yeah. Voyager. So you yeah, can go yeah. today they're pitching. Pitch of the week. Pitching nicotine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, but Peggy is pregnant, and blah blah is about mm. to get about to be fired, and you you can have subplots. Yeah, other um, stuff is happening. That weird like mill ground where you had that cinematic TV revolution yeah. that seems to have fallen out of fashion and gone to this place where it is just like yeah just oh binge and everyone will watch it in one day so it doesn't matter yeah like yeah like, I think yeah. the one where like is coming back though like mm, the, yeah. you know, the succession is the one where you know like yeah, 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 yeah. mostly and every episode has a an identity like yeah, oh complete season two had that thing where literally every single episode was like a trip to somewhere I think that for me is always a lot more watchable I, I definitely am drawn to that more than mm. like I don't know because I think if you've got like a world and a character to invest in even if that episode story wasn't the most compelling you still want to come back whereas if yeah. it's all about that one plot line if you're like eh yeah. then you're like I'm done I'll see if other people love episode 3 but I'm not gonna yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah yeah so we'll see that'll be interesting right well until then Star Trek Voyager still your favourite Star Trek Oh, it's hard because um, because I have such a familiarity and a fondness for it. Like, but when I do watch, I mean, it's goofy as fuck. Yeah. Like, it's really daft. But it's still, it's still my Star Trek. It's the one I grew up with. It's like you know, if you Doctor Who fans have their Doctor, don't they? It's the one. Tom Baker. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I um, yeah, is it my favorite? Well, it kind of has to be because I, I definitely isn't Discovery and I don't know enough of Next Gen and, and DS9 to say it's them, even though they're probably superior storytelling-wise. So you have no choice. But no choice but to side, <laughs> throw my fucking lot in with Voyager. Yeah, Voyager, I mean, Voyager, because I, mean, I never really engaged with Voyager as like a work of storytelling, like until like a few years ago. And I think when it all came on Netflix, because yeah. like I'd always, you know, Voyager, we bought all the videos, we watched it every night at like every Friday, 8 p.m. when they were doing the new series on Sky and stuff growing up. It was like- All few... the videos, the we're... two episodes on one VHS video. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, oh my God. And, this is and my Voyager wall. I still Made remember, tapes. yeah, I still remember like what it would sound like when the video, when the music started to warp. You know the opening when they would always <laughs> yeah. begin with like every every after every ad break you'd have an establishing shot of Voyager with like the boo boo like and it would just be like <laughs> it was yeah finding that tracking come on yeah because you, you've watched it so many fucking times and I just really I really invested in those characters even though now when I watch them I'm like Jesus these are boring as fuck. Like Chakotay <laughs> is just nothing, and like poor Harry, Chakotay, because he, I mean, oh my god, yeah, the Marquis, like, soon to return, Chakotay. Is of he? Course. Yeah, in Star Trek Prodigy, he's gonna be in it. Wait, like, is that the cartoon? That's the that's the kids called Nickelodeon yeah. Star Trek kid, which just started the other day. Yeah, uh, Janeway is in it, yeah. like, but as a hologram. Yeah. So she's doing the Doctor kind of like role, and Chakotay is apparently also coming back. What's great is that like your voice doesn't 
doesn't really age unless you smoke and drink a lot. Like mm, so, yeah. she might have done. Well, I know. <laughs> listening to the trailer of it, I was like, Jesus, she just sound, he doesn't really sound well, like. Also, they can now. They, they can do you, so they? much because oh. I've learned that from uh, Big oh. Finish because the Dot Two audio joke. They Tom Baker's voice. They've definitely digitally euthanized oh, it. Like euthanized it. Yeah, euthanized. Euthanized and euthanized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, One of the God. two. Oh, that's depressing. Because no, that's what you know. You want generally to be older, but anyway, I was impressed. I thought, wow, she doesn't. She doesn't. But yeah, your your voice, like, unless you really fuck with it, ages like the least of all you all of you apparently. Mm. Uh, but uh, so yeah, you can just you can get old saggy uh, former casting, and they still sound relatively normal. Sorry, um, Kate Mulgrew. <laughs> we Oh, she was my hero. I loved her. Um, Harry Kim was just such a wet lettuce. But well, I mean, Harry Kim, they fucking kill him and they just bring in replacement Harry Kim and no one notices. What? There's an episode where Harry Kim dies and he does actually die, but somehow because of the t- way the timelines work, parallel universe, oh, they... essentially like a parallel universe, Harry Kim replaces him and it is... Harry Kim from apparently, but it's, but it's like not the, the same but, one. But it's so it's so close. It's just basically like a diverged timeline uh, that diverged at the moment of his death. So he's exactly the same. So I remember that episode. So it does literally. Is that what we did? I seem to remember. Maybe. Well, I mean, I've certainly watched it. We haven't done it on the show. Oh, okay. But it's that thing of going like it basically doesn't matter. He's exactly the same. It, it, it doesn't matter. And so like it never obviously gets referenced again. And I remember watching it go. Wait a minute. What? It's good to have you back, Ensign. Thank you. I think. Something wrong. I'm not sure. I mean, this isn't really my ship. And you're not really my captain. And yet you are, and there's no difference. But I know there's a difference. Or is there? It's all a little weird. Mr. Kim, we're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. I mean, in Discovery, that would be a series of Yeah, but it's like, no, like, next episode, like, ah, oh, Harry, it's like, it's surely someone would be going, yeah, yeah, but ah, oh, Harry's fucking dead. Like, nah, I've got this erasement. It's the story in Discovery with, with the Doctor, Anthony Rapp's partner, who disappears into some sort of alternate universe and then comes Wilson back. Wilson Cruz. Yeah, and rather than just, in, in, again, oh, yes, Wilson Cruz, and then rather than in the Discover, in the Voyager version, like, and then next week we're fine, yeah. he's like, Dealing with it. Dealing with it for the rest yeah, of the yeah, series, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is, which we'll is never fine and makes now. sense in a Dealing with it by getting really ripped. Getting and then really ripped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, no, you go through that in Voyager and it's like, la 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 la, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, but Harry Kim then is part of the best episode of Voyager, I think, which is Timeless. Chakotay and both, yeah, there's like pick the two most boring, underserved characters and give them the best episode in the whole mm. series. I'm not sure I've seen it. It's one where they, yet. Timeless is the one where um, they crash. Voyager has been destroyed and they bring and Chakotay and Harry Kim got home and it's like 20 years since Voyager crashed. I don't feel like I've seen this episode yet. It's it's sort of universally seen seen as the best Voyager episode. Because my big memory of Voyager before I started this podcast was I'd only ever seen five minutes of the pilot yeah. Which I watched when it came on originally. I watched like five minutes where I was like, this is fucking boring as shit. Turned off, right? <laughs> no, Caretaker's great. Literally, <laughs> I, I got up to when she visits Paris in like prison yeah. at the beginning where I was like, bye. Um, and then, but obviously we've watched this and I've got to say, like now, because like, you know, we graduate, I like write down when there's a really, really great episode, I'll write down what it is because we'll probably use it for the podcast for something. Yeah. 
unlike Voyager, I've probably written more episodes down than anything apart from maybe original series. Yeah. Where it's just like, yeah, there's some real fucking great... I think as a whole, and that's why maybe some people don't like as much, mm. when you compare it to something like Deep Space Nine, obviously it hasn't got the arcs that that has, so as a whole it seems lesser. But actually, as in terms of individual episodes, there's a lot of individual episodes I could point to where I go, yeah. that is a fantastic yeah. hour of TV. Yeah. Like, uh, I, yeah. yeah, they have some really good ideas, like really good episode ideas. Yeah. Um, and I think also... Because it started off with this, it had like one of the strongest series pitches, I think, of all, which is why people were really excited about it originally. Yeah. The idea of like a ship being flung into the but Delta Quadrant. Really and no, that's why I exactly caretaker. Well, two ideas. There were two ideas sort of set up at the beginning. Um, one of which, you know, becomes the pitch of the whole series, which is they're always fucking trying to like, we found a new way to like propel ourselves back into yeah. the Alpha Quadrant. But the other one was that, you know, it's not just Voyager that's flung into the Delta Quadrant, it's this re- rebellion marquis ship. Mm. And like, and how you know, the enemy of Star Starfleet have to, like, then work with Starfleet and they have to become members of the crew and, like, what's that going to do? And that Nothing. they just fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. They're fine. They're Nothing. Fine. It's hilarious. I remember we did the pilot. And I watched the set... It's the second episode. It's the one after the pilot where they go, oh, there's a bit of conflict between yeah. the marquee members of the crew and the Starfleet members of the crew. That's resolved by the end of the second episode. Move on. We're all yeah. fine now. And, and I'm like, what yeah, the and, like, and, and Chakotay becomes... <laughs> so fucking by the book so quickly and I'm yeah. like dude you are like a terrorist <laughs> yeah. well that's the thing like, if, well, if, if this shape. show was done now uh, by the end of season one there'd be a marquee revolution on the ship yeah. it would be Jakote versus Janeway yeah. and it would be literally we are fighting to the death for control of the ship but also like Jakote and Janeway never like fucked either and I, I, I was always like did they not in one of those like it didn't really happen episodes? Um, yes, I mean the one that I remember, the one that's like, oh Jesus Christ, I'd rather forget that is uh, the warp ten episode. What was that called? It's when um, they uh, Tom Paris builds a space shuttle. That... Oh, you're not talking about threshold, are yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. And then, we've and seen then, that. Then, yeah, we've seen that fucking Tom, shit. Tom Paris and Janeway turn into like lizards, and yeah, then they yeah. have babies together. So yeah, like you yeah. know that lizard Tom Paris fucked Janeway, <laughs> and you're like, wow, lizard Tom Paris got there before Chakotay. Well, they talk about it. It's really weird when they get turn back into you and they kind of joke about oh we fucked when we were yeah. it's just like yeah that episode we did an episode called how the trek did this get made where we covered what are considered like the worst episodes of each show and threshold was the one for because Voyager. they start devolving don't they or well, they start evolving really quickly into yeah, like yeah. salamanders it's i just remember being really grossed out by it most of the time um, i mean any episode that focuses on paris is gonna be shit like, <laughs> oh, yeah. that was when i first started to like realize as a kid like oh he's the handsome one he's the one we're supposed yeah. to like but he's fucking annoying and like he's only in macrocosm like which is an episode that i love but he's only in macrocosm for like five minutes and like his scenes are really annoying yeah he's just an irritating prick of a character he's a um, dick just shows you how much has changed because back then it kind of was like the hot guy is a dickhead yeah and so like if he's the jock He's like handsome and mm. annoying, and now well, I mean, everyone has to be fucking handsome. Yeah, yeah. everyone yeah, yeah. has to be has everyone has a six pack. Everyone's gorgeous, and like oh, then it all was, the Tom Paris. Yeah, now, now we're all fucking Tom Paris, <laughs> and every and everybody was yeah. Because it's not like Janeway wasn't you know gorgeous and all that, but yeah. like they were they all looked like and performed their roles like superior, professional, trained people. Yeah, and also Janeway, she is. She's Kate Mulgrew, gravitas. she's kind of like deceptively beautiful in terms of you go, you look at her and go, yeah, I could work with Janeway. Like it says, she might be my boss or something like that. Uh, like, you know, into, but 
at the same time, you then you actually look at her and you're like, oh no, you're really beautiful, aren't you? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just no, like, she's, she's really dominant as well. She's really like, she, she, it's such a good performance, yeah. actually. She really nails it. Like, she feels like, you know, she's she's got, she's merciful and kind and cultured and stuff, but she can really, like, she'll mm-hmm. absolutely well, take you out. Here's the question, which I've asked many a guest Did she make the right choice with Tuvix? Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, just, I, I literally I was talking to some friend the other day and he sent me a login for something and the password was Tuvix was right <laughs> um, yeah so I feel like I just wouldn't make the, you know, if I had to make the decision what would I do I mean yes Tuvix has a right to live but there are two people who also had a right to live so unless you accept that they are dead now I mean apart, the selfish part of me thinks like if my two friends died and became this one person <laughs> but I found a way to bring them back like I might do, but I know. I mean, it's depends how much you like this new person. Dilemma. It's a <laughs> yeah, fantastic it's dilemma. Yeah. Uh, and I love, I love how it ends as well because she makes this call and then she just isolates herself and then there's just silence and then ends. Like it's not sort of going, ah, don't worry, audience, she did the right thing. Mm. It's not letting you feel comfortable. It's funny you were talking about kind of badass women stuff like that. For me, Janeway in that episode, it's that thing of going, now this is true badassery in terms of the way she handles it. Because at the end, it's actually, she is the only one who has the fucking stomach to do what needs to be done. She knows that at the end of the day, it's simple. It's two lives for one life. And actually, so that's it. It's fucking simple. And she can save the other two by killing him. And no one else can do it. And everyone else wipes their hands of it. And she just grabs it and goes, boom, done. That's it. And I do, that's why I love that episode. And I love that ending because it's a story about what it is to be a captain isn't yeah. it it's like yeah, I have to make yeah, yeah. I have to make the difficult decision everybody else can do what Sophie's doing yeah. like, god it's really hard isn't it <laughs> I just wouldn't decide I would just wipe my hands yeah. and go I have to make a choice and do something in this kind of era of like we need more badass female characters I feel like all we get are like beautiful booby women who kick men yeah, 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 <laughs> instead yeah, yeah. of like well drawn yeah, characters yeah, making hard flawed, moral choices flawed moral That's yeah, it, and, yeah. And there was a, I listened to the Script Notes podcast and there was a whole subject they discussed recently about like the absence of like women who have to make difficult moral choices mm-hmm. or like have to go on a moral journey mm. um, that like women are often like victims who avenge themselves or they're good yeah. and like and what they're doing is what they should think they should be doing there's no yeah. choice in, like, and there's, the there's rarely doing. also like rarely kind of like crossing mm. the moral Rubicon mm. and so yeah you know, Janeway often makes really dark brutal choices yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a really kind of cutthroat element to her and, and Mogru plays that so well and it doesn't sort of diminish your like love of her but it is like oh shit it, it just Michael Burnham would never <laughs> <laughs> Michael um, Burnham would like start crying and give a wonderful monologue and it would all come right because like a magical space being would find a way for them all to survive they'd all make a group choice they'd find a way to all survive yeah. it would all be a happy ending yeah. so um, on the subject of Janeway Sophie why did you pick the episode we are going to be discussing today Macrocosm so as a kid, like the episodes that I really often thought about were the episodes that I like, either weren't on telly that much or I couldn't get them on VHS. So like they would become these rarefied talismans in my head of like, oh my God, that ep- do you remember that episode where this thing happened? And you couldn't just go online and like download it. And Macrocosm, I always remembered like as a kid, like there was this one time I watched an episode of Voyager where like it was like Alien, where these creatures were like buzzing around in the ship and Jane, and it, it got serious, and you knew it had because Janeway had taken her shirt off and she was just traipsing around in, in her vest with a machine gun, like looking for the alien. <laughs> and, and so I had it in my head that this was like one of my favourite episodes as a kid. And um, 
watched it again recently and it is it's wild sort of brilliant it all like it ends terribly <laughs> like it's not it's not the great Tuvix ending but um I picked it because I think for, it was such a defining kind of Star Trek Voyager memory for me and that like even though I never saw it that much I always was like that's the one I keep looking for I kept going to WH Smith looking for the one where she shoots the aliens in her vest <laughs> armed Captain Catherine Janeway of the Federation Starship Voyager to anyone within range. My ship has been seized by unknown life forms. Require any and all assistance. Afraid. By this time tomorrow, there could be thousands. We don't have much time. Alone. Hurry. Captain Janeway faces the fight of her life on the next Star Trek Voyager. It was the first time also it really scared me. Until Species 8472, do you remember all that? Do you, have you seen any Species 8472 episodes? Uh, Is that a, they're not a series of species? I believe that was what brought in as the new big villain sort of post-Borg. Like a oh, new... Right. And they were like basically un, indestructible. They were kind of like tall, leggy creatures. <laughs> and I haven't seen a Species 8472 episode in ages, actually. But like they, apart from that, like macrocosm felt like this real event episode where like something really bad had happened and the ship had gone like catatonic and and it was scary it used to scare the shit out of me the buzzing noises that the viruses yeah, yeah, made yeah. and them flying out of people's necks and um but also janeway kind of like running around in a vest with a machine gun um it's not machine gun is it it's like the the phaser rifle giant phaser, thing. Giant yeah, phaser yeah. rifle and her big weird backpack full of bits which i was like <laughs> yeah, i was watching this I again last bits. night and I was, when she took the backpack and i made like a real kind of mental note of like what is she putting in that back because she's got all these bits and it looks like she's <laughs> taking like baked beans or something she's like oh, i might need to but then somehow like every time something happens she has to get the backpack off and get something out and she's brought stuff with her well it goes full like video game doesn't it because it is it is like that's the inventory pack and maybe she's just you know got herbs in there that will yeah, yeah but it's the fact that like she has to take it off all the time to get <laughs> stuff out and it's so inefficient and you're like, surely there's not like a Starfleet bum bag somewhere. Starfleet utility belt. Starfleet yeah, utility yeah, belt. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what she needs. And like, she's having like, oh shit. And like, five minutes later, oh, shit, I'm going to get it off again. I'm going to get the bit out that I've got to like, scan that's the scan. That's why it has to end so suddenly, because there's so much screen time for the backpack. The backpack. Well, that's another, that's like my jazz bit in terms of going, they must, they must have moved beyond the backpack by the 21st century. Your vendetta against chairs yeah, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I just always, there are certain things <laughs> in futuristic shows where I go like I don't believe you still have that so my big thing with Sergeant Discovery is chairs <laughs> two years ago they're all sitting in these nice chairs I'm like you wouldn't have fucking chairs it would just be like someone's invented like a, a chair that you could just literally press a button and something appears and it's like a hologrammatic chair like a 3D printer but you can sit on it I believe though I'd go like, like an attack of the clones yeah yeah, yeah, yeah when yeah, he goes yeah. to Camino and they lower the <laughs> spoon for, this yeah. like teaspoon from the ceiling exactly like, you know, like, space like yeah, like we've gone beyond yeah, yeah. furniture. Exactly, like, yeah. If you've like... seen Attack of the Clones recently, like, Camino is space Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> in all white goods. But, but um, yeah. Yes, so Matt Cosm, Star Trek Voyager, Season 3, Episode 12. First broadcast on the 11th of December, 1996. But not broadcast, I mean, this fucking shows how things have changed. Not fucking broadcast in the UK until the 6th of September, 1998. What? So you've got to wait two almost years. two years. We've discovered this. We've basically like, oh shit, that's the thing now. We're like so sport. We're like day and date and everything. But back in those days, it would have been on like VHS first because people used to buy the VHSs and it would be on VHS first. 
before it would actually be on Jurassic Park. As a kid, I had no idea about that stuff, but I knew that we could always buy episodes I'd never seen before on VHS. I remember that literally with loads of shows like the X Files as well and stuff. They'd always they'd arrive on VHS first before you could get on TV. Like, and it's just like insane. Written by Brannon Bragger, who of course was a story editor on Star Trek: Next Generation. Uh, wrote 55 episodes of Voyager, co-created Enterprise with Rip Berman, and wrote screenplays of Star Trek Generations and First Contact. I mean, Brown is a huge person in, yeah. in Trek of that era, in that Berman era. He was absolutely all over it. Um, he also wrote 16 episodes of 24, created Flash Forward, mm. which Did was it? the uh, like the, the wannabe, show. yeah, the wannabe Lost well, going on there, where it's like, out. yeah, with Joseph Fiennes, where they get like a flash of something that's going to happen in all their lives, like three months away or something, and then start looking into it. But I think it was cancelled after one season. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> um, he's now, like many an old Star Trek writer, a writer on the Orville, of course, like I think that, yeah, loads I of old Star Trek directors and writers now work for the. Because I thought the Orville was like a big Trek piss take. Well, no, the thing is because we we covered the first episode of the Orville on the show when we did like spoofs of Star Trek, but actually it's very it's weirdly less piss takey, less uh, spoofy than Star Trek Lower Decks. Right, like in terms of it's Seth MacFarlane's love letter. Right. to those 90s Star Trek shows. Oh, okay. it, the way it, it, he's basically hired loads because we had some of the Star Trek directors on the podcast, like James L. Conway, who directed tons of it in the 90s, and he now is a director for Orville. And so if you actually watch it, it feels like a Star Trek. It feels much... It doesn't feel like a spoof or a piss. It feels like a Star Trek show, which randomly is comedic. Yeah. Like, I think, like, yeah, so it's very... And even, like, the way it's shot and presented and even with, like, ad breaks is reminiscent of old Star right. Trek. Oh. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. He also just co-wrote Clive Barker adaptation, Books of Blood, which has just arrived on Disney Plus hmm. for Halloween. So he's he's still in amongst it. Orville's on Disney Plus now as well. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, I really oh, want to catch yeah. up on it properly. Uh, this episode was directed by Alexander Singer, who sadly passed away last year at the age of 92. Oh. So, good innings. Directed six episodes of TNG, including Relics, the episode that brings uh, Scotty back, as well as Ship in a Bottle, which I think is meant to be a bit of a classic. And the Descent two-parter, six episodes of DS9, including the season three finale and Hard Time, which we covered on the Science of Trek episode yeah. with Dr. Dean Burnett. Brilliant episode. And ten episodes of Voyager, including Threshold, oh, which wow. we all already all discussed. Love. Seemed to be just a kind of jobbing TV director in general, Alexander Singer, like right back to like the 60s. But before all that, this is the most crazy thing about him. He was one of Stanley Kubrick's earliest and closest collaborators. He was the director of photography on Kubrick's short Day of the Fight, stills photographer on Killer's Kiss, one of his earliest features, and associate producer of The Killing, mm. which is not his debut, but a lot of people refer to it. Danish the, drama. No, not the Danish <laughs> drama. But a lot of people refer to it as like Kubrick's first film, where they go like oh. honestly, like properly Kubrick, I think it influenced Reservoir Dogs and stuff like that. So that's like a mental kind of history, like they had like before that. But this episode starts off very comedically uh, with Neelix negotiating with the Tac Tac. 
Yeah. On some kind of trade mission uh, where Janeway is insulting them by putting her hands on her hips or something. So this is quite an interesting way to start I, the episode. I, when I was watching it last night and I love the opening. Because I, I, <laughs> the opening suggests it's going to be a very different kind of episode. It's a very Star Trek opening. You're in the middle of like some diplomatic thing and you're meeting some new... It reminded me a bit of Darmok at Jalad. Like you're, yeah. Some funny new way of communicating. And it's like, you know, they're, they're sort of doing a lot of poses and a lot of facial expressions and then saying things like, um, your journey, short, swift, good health, happy life. My, my colleague, apologies. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the comic timing is great in it. Like Neelix is very funny in that scene. And yeah, I was like, oh, this is very, that, it feels very trekky, very fun and kind of like futurist. Mm. And, uh, and it is, um, yeah, it is a fun kind of bait and switch, like you say, to have a, that big comedic setup. It has before. fuck all to do with the rest of the episode in a yeah, way that yeah. is like hilarious. Because basically, Janeway and Neeks go off on this away trip, leaving the crew to mm-hmm. like wait around. And then the crew, in the meantime, are contacted by a species that are like suffering from a virus, the Garens. And that's where the virus comes from. And you're like, like, is there no way that that opening from Janeway and Neeks <laughs> could be in some way to do with that? Like, it's, it's, yeah, it, there, there's no connection. Save us a lot of protracted flashbacks in the middle of the episode, which kind of kills the uh, the pace of it. Oh, it so. does a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although, well, of course, they pot the tap tack end up coming back at the end, don't they? But this opening. Well, of course they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It kind of closes back Your up. Your ship, virus, must explode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's really odd because they are a comedic species. Yeah. And when they come back at the end, it's like, uh, by that point, really tense and stuff. But then the tap tap turn up, it turns it really comedic again. Yeah. It's really weird. Like, it felt very Red Dwarf to me. Like, I was yes. like, yeah. it, it literally, Crichton would be doing the Neelix <laughs> stuff in Red Dwarf. I like, suppose yeah. also she promotes Neelix, doesn't she? So it's kind of got a serial element because he does become then Ambassador Neelix after oh, that. Oh, okay. So that is proper then. That yeah, so that's, on, yeah. yeah, very much so. So yeah, that is a sort of a, a serial moment. I thought it was going to be like, because that was done at the beginning and then they go through this like huge event I thought it was going to be like Neelix would mention it the next week it's like oh uh, Captain oh, do you I remember s- when you turned me into a bastard she's like what I remember that <laughs> I know there's been a lot going on but do you remember the fact that you kind of promoted me <laughs> yeah, like, like, is that still a thing should I write to HR uh, but yeah we have this nice bait and switch as you say of kind of more comedic opening and then building up to the uh, pre-titles where it's just like suddenly they realise something weird is going on with the ship. Yeah. They've returned to Voyager. They can't get a hail. And yeah, Janeway, like badass Janeway, where she turns to Neeks, is like, grab a phaser. Like, uh, it yeah. goes it's into the It's such a great titles. book to like, end up pre-titles with, like, you know, finding an empty Voyager yeah. and needing to like work out what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially when they're already like, you know, out in deep space to be even more cut off and isolated and not know the answers. It's such a great intro to the episode. Interesting double act as well, Janeway and Neelix. Like, yeah. It felt like a team that haven't seen together as much. Like, that was always, uh, always, yeah. So when you talk about Discovery and like how you flesh out the crew and like the moments that they've tried to do that on Discovery have been like, oh, they're all locked in together in some room and they have a few lines with one another and you're stuck, he's the loud yeah. one, she's the quiet one. Or around the canteen and yeah, the school. Exactly. And, 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 <laughs> and like, actually that's not, in, that's not historically like how Star Trek explored the characters it was by like sending them on fucking away missions mm. like having an episode where they would just become a main character for the day and then you'd see like back in syndication days you'd see if the audience took to them and if they did you gave mm-hmm. them more stuff and if they hated them then you never saw them again but that's how like you got to know Neelix you got to know Belana and like Tom and it was all sort of like they go on an away mission together um, so yeah Neelix and Janeway were a great kind of double act yeah I was like oh this is a really quite funny because Janeway seems so serious a character in comparison to Neelix, yes. who's kind of much more comedic. Yeah. 
And, and yeah. it feels like she might have to, you know, like protect him a bit as well. Like he's yes. not like the second in command or anything. So it's a it adds more stakes to it as well. That yeah, yeah, she yeah. Has to kind of look out from a bit. Well, when she says grab a phaser, Mister yeah. Abbasso, I'm like, can Neelix handle a fucking phaser? Like, <laughs> like yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure. Like, um, but then of course we go into the theme. I don't know about you guys, but I will never fucking skip <laughs> it's in this my... theme. Netflix, like, it is my yeah, favorite Star Trek theme. Yeah. It is incredible. It's a, it, uh, it's a it's a great theme. I love the Voyager theme. I love the opening credits to that. Yeah. It's a mother. Yeah, you are. Yeah. We literally just had a guest on the <laughs> That's show. That's in my notes. That's yeah, of course. Yeah, it was in mine as well. We literally just had a guest on the show, Hattie Snooks, who's a uh, musician and a stand up comedian. And guys, she did a live show called, I think, The Geek Shall Inherit, mm-hmm. where basically she's kind of talking, doing kind of comedy monologues about all of her favourite sci fi shows. And one of them is Star Trek Voyager. And she did a new version of the Star Trek Voyager thing where it's just her going, Holy fuck, it's a motherfucking spaceship. (laughs) 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 And literally, that's all I can think of now when I see it. Unofficial lyrics. It's what I think of with the Jurassic Park theme tune. Holy fucking shit. (laughs) Jesus Christ, what the fuck? It works yeah. with anything. anything. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I love the uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, the, all the all great. the Star Trek themes have sort of been great. The Discovery yeah. one isn't. They, well, yeah, the, I mean, the Discovery one has definitely grown on me over time. And it's 15 different ones. I, I saw a tweet from a composer, I don't know, I can't remember who, who said there's like five different themes being set up in it and none of them go any further. <laughs> and when you think that it's you, you, you then can't get it out of your head, that like it begins a theme and then it changes into a whole new one mm. and you go, oh, we're going to now... Oh, and so that's why it's like deeply unsatisfying because it never like, it doesn't pick a theme and then go with it. It's like, yeah. it's like, duh, 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 and then it goes, boom, boom, and then it changes into something else. And, yeah. It's no lower decks, that's for sure. Well, I've never but, seen lower decks. but also, there's a thing where, like, for some reason, all modern Trek themes have to pay homage to the original Trek theme. Like, just yeah. even if it's right the actual the end, theme, yeah. is nothing like it. At some point, you'll get a. Yeah. Uh, but you don't get that in Voyager, no. like which is an amazing like. Thing. I don't get why that's become a thing. But like uh, Bond, the, the the themes will probably all have to like fit certain. Chord- We've got all the time in the world, you see, Sophie. Yeah, <laughs> like chord progressions and key signatures and instrumentation. So it'll be like you know Voyager is horns and it uses the yeah. same sort of chord progressions, but like no, it doesn't have that kind of. Oh, I've only got the voyage in my head now. I can't remember how the <laughs> original one goes, but it doesn't have the one that's like in every JJ. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, exactly that. And I will say, live said before, Jeff Russo's overall score for Discovery, I actually think it's really yeah, good. It's, it's, it's just it's, the, yeah, theme the theme. Is, yeah, I'm always like missing a melody there. Kind of like, yeah. Right, so then when we get back into it, Janeway is immediately badass, is kind of going around this creepy, empty, abandoned ship. And it is quite creepy i would say like, it's yeah a place like the, you know i think we've said in the past that deep space nine has a really great dark look to the sets and the way that show is lit yeah. compared to others whereas this leans into that aesthetic here where they make the ship look really moody yeah because all the power is off and yeah. it's in red alert so the lights are dimmed anyway it's all kind of like low angles as well and it yeah. feels like a lot of the episode could have been done in like a one or something like just that maybe add to that, oh, that game cool. feel as well go over shoulder you know <laughs> it is it's all low angles it's all sort of like from yeah. the floor isn't it looking at them coming towards i don't know what effect that kind of has on you subconsciously but it is creepy I think just stripping out everyone else from the set maybe made them go yes. well 
This is going to look like a showroom unless we I think get that's some shadows up. What there. I love about the episode up until the flashback starts is that like it's a mm. it's a it's a it's a mystery that's really intriguing. Like where is everybody? What's going on? And yeah, and they're piecing it all together until eventually she meets like you know the doctor, and then he's like, "Here's what happened." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, well, because it is it gets really creepy and tense because by the time they get into the elevator, it's really really hot. Everything like that, so you can actually see the sweat on yeah. their faces and that bit when they're in the elevator she's trying to sort the elevator and you hear the buzzing <laughs> kind of like coming in and you don't, haven't actually seen anything properly yet you just see a sort of someone running away and kind of like shadow. shadow yeah yeah you haven't seen anything before you haven't any seen any awful CG virus <laughs> yet it's like so at this time just with and it often shows like not actually seeing the monster yeah, yeah. works so much better yeah. Whoa, like, this eat, is really fucking creepy what fucking happens yeah, yeah, yeah and the yeah, buzzing yeah. is horrible especially because I'm, I'm like terrified of wasps and bees and stuff so the right, buzzing right, is right, just right. like oh <laughs> and then yeah because that's when it sort of sticks it's a thing through the yeah kind of like pops in because the issue with this episode for me is like the awful CG. Like, kind of like, is it? Well, because... I made a note the first time we see it, I was like, you know, these are basically flying face huggers in a way. And I said, oh, it looks pretty good for 996 TV. But when you see it again at the end and it has a lot yeah. more. It's time, when it's ugh. when I think I think you really notice how bad it is when they have to interact with it. Yeah. But when yes. it's just flying through the air, I think it, is, it looks fine. It's yeah. just all it's right. It's all a bit well, Langoliers nineties Stephen King miniseries. But also a part of it is <laughs> the thing of I think at this time nineteen ninety six like this came out. I just don't think actors were as well versed with interacting with green screen on like TV. components like yeah. composites, especially on yeah, yeah. on TV it's CG because it's still really new technology and certainly like very very new in terms of this. Uh, so when I think when you see Kate Mulgrew valiantly interacting with these guys, it just looks a bit odd. It, it, it you can clearly tell that someone is directing her in a way where they don't quite know what it's gonna be, what it's gonna yeah. look like. And you kind of don't see like she's actually it does it feels like an actor yeah. flailing in midair with nothing. You like, know what oh, I can yeah, always forgive Star Trek for being a bit hokey with stuff like that. Because the sixties you know it's full of it. So that stuff feels trek to me. The, uh, <laughs> the 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 worst one is when the doctor tries to wrestle a, a, a hyper spray onto one of them in one of the flashbacks and like he's wrestling with it and he's just like holding midair and like there's when people I mean even to this day when people have to interact with CGI that's when you can tell like is this any good like or not and yeah, obviously yeah, like yeah. TV budgets in 1996 I'd love to like see a making of that I'd love to like do they have anything there at all a marker or anything or were they just going okay I just want you to like well, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Because you go like now, they would have someone in like yeah. a fucking motion capture suit, or they'd have something with the texture on them that they would yeah. then use on the. Yeah. Because often, yeah. like if you've got like a furry animal, they might have like a toy with the fur on yeah, it that yeah. they can then literally copy and paste that image of your hand yes. interacting yeah, with its yeah, fur yeah. and put it on the body of yeah. the thing, so it looks like you're touching it. Um, yeah, you couldn't do that. Nicely. Or like with the baby Yoda in Mandalore, it's a mix of puppetry and yeah, yeah. like CG, so you can have actually something yeah. physical there on set yeah. and then like you know it's like whereas this time I bet yeah. it was just fuck all they were like yeah it's there God, yeah. I, always, it was I like... always remember for me it was always in the two towers with Gollum being the moment when yes. you know CG was obviously somebody there it's that moment when he pulls Frodo out of the marsh and he's physically pulling you know and yeah. affecting him like that you can tell that was a real guy and I yeah. remember that 
that bit of shot always stuck in my mind. So I was like, yeah. holy shit, it's a scene. That's thing. the turning point, isn't it? Fully, Where you fully. start to feel... Because now you'll watch stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy or something with Rocket. Yeah. And so like, where you will just be like, yeah, I believe Rocket Raccoon is there exactly. and exists as a kind of like person. It never feels like rounding they're talking to nothing or anything like that whereas this this era of cg always reminds me that bit in ed wood with uh bella lugosi with the inanimate like optimus around him and he goes so when you get in there and fight with him shake his legs around looks like he's killing you like (laughs) literally that's what i think of but um yeah of course quite early on neelix gets essentially kidnapped by yeah. the bad guys like mm. again kind of sort of unseen yeah. as well like so we, that's really creepy of her one companion yeah. is taken out and obviously coming out of the goddamn war yeah yeah I haven't seen this obviously so when I was watching this episode for the first ever time I was like dead oh Maybe is this dead. well because we haven't seen any other cast members <laughs> yeah, yeah. in this episode I was like we what's don't know what's happened to? to them and I was starting to think oh is this going to be like Kate Mulgrew's heaven sent or something like that from like Doctor Who where Capaldi does his like one man show and where oh, she's God, just going to yeah. be on her own for the whole episode and there's going to be this unseen yeah. thing yeah. like, like you I kind of wish it was you will say yeah, yeah. 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 it's up a bit like yeah, Janeway Alien Isolation yeah, yes. you're yeah, gonna have yeah, to move yeah. from like cupboard to cupboard while the thing stalks you. <laughs> yeah, we do get a very quick tool up montage as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Going in yeah. Well. tool up montage is great because yeah. this is where Kate Maru strips down to like vests and everything like that, and she goes full Ripley. Yeah, and what what I noticed watching it last night was like, why is this like emergency rifle and like gear box in engineering? Is that <laughs> is that like a thing? Like, because you sort of feel like that's a production decision. Somebody like that made that choice. You're like, is that like is that a naval thing? Is that mm. where you'd keep your backup weaponry? <laughs> like, do they not have an armory? Like, presumably they do. Because is it? Does she deliberately go to? She goes to engineering to get, to get some it. Stuff. It's not like she's there and she's like. Um, no, because that's not the environmental controls mm. moment. No, she's gone to engineering, climbs right. up the ladder to go to like, the second floor. And then opens the big box and tools up. And I'm like, why is that? Like, oh yeah, let's go. There's a massive sort of like, if you're on your because there's only one rifle in there. It's yeah. like, oh, that's the box that we keep for whenever you're the only person left alive. Well, um, this is part of my issue, right? Because I was getting really excited at this point because I was like, Janeway's tooling up. She's stripping down. She's going for Ripley and everything like that. She looks fucking badass. Tooling up, stripping down. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tooling up, stripping down. Strip down. Yeah, like, <laughs> we, like um, we need a t-shirt of Janeway <laughs> in the vest with the go-go, tool up, strip down. But that's the thing. I was getting, yeah, I was getting really excited for this. I was like, oh shit, is she going to be like literally Janeway alone against like, you know, creepy unseen aliens and we're going to have her like talking to herself and all kinds of things. going to be, and she looks badass. And actually, I almost watched it and went, oh, you know, Kate Mulgrew. By the way, at this point, Kate Mulgrew is 41 years of age when when this was shot. Looks pretty great, I would say. And I would say this is 1996-41, which is very different Different from (laughs) 2021-41. And so I think she looks pretty fucking good. She must definitely spent some time down the gym for this episode. Yeah, she's got some definition in the Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I kind of felt, for her hard work that she clearly put in to looking really lean in this episode and stuff like that, that she deserved better than what this episode gave her. <laughs> she needed a bit more. She when did she, did she run into the doctor? So she tools up and she goes where? 
this is the thing. She very quickly, after Neenix is kidnapped, they don't actually let her be on her own for long. No. She very quickly finds, finds the crew all unconscious. Yeah. And that's where you get the bit where there's little bugs flying out yeah. of your like sore, which is really creepy and horrible. Well, she goes to the bridge, doesn't she, to look for the life signs? Because she knows yes, that there are life yeah, signs, yeah, yeah. but she needs to find out with it. She goes to the bridge, mm-hmm. and that's when she gets bitten, doesn't she, by the little yeah, baby Yeah, she gets one. bitten, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's quite creepy, except that the kind of the floating <laughs> camera coming towards her, like <laughs> yeah. the mosquito's POV is like oh for god's sake especially she can't hear it and you're like come on but then yeah she, she goes to the canteen and that's where they're all are, like all of them sweating and gooey and then have like little mosquitoes coming out their neck but yeah she finds the doctor it's funny because I, I watching it I thought like wouldn't your first thought be the only person who we might be able to speak to is the doctor there's a version of plotting that because he go. can't get infected in the same way yeah. presumably but I suppose like you know it's just it's also totally believable that that wouldn't jump to your mind but yeah yeah, she's not on her own for very long. She doesn't get her sort no. of Ripley moment for very, for very long. I, I think the problem is, even as we're talking, like, because we've talked about the whole marquee thing in terms of, I'm now working out a thing in my head where I'm like, okay, so they should have done it. So it was like a marquee revolution on the uh, show. They kind of take over the ship and everyone gets, like, captured apart from Janeway. And literally we get this thing with Janeway looking badass, like, in the vest alone fighting a lot of one-man army against like the fucking monkey and actually getting to interact with actual human beings and fight them like properly like yeah. i'm like that would be badass yeah awesome, because because yeah. there's only so much kickassery you can do with like a cgi bug that's the thing um, that's the thing like and spend, i just yeah it is interesting how much time they spend doing the flashbacks about how we got here because actually yeah if a you lot had of time. more, if you had more ideas of what to do in the present, it's not very interesting. It's like we went to mm-hmm. a planet, a bug came on. Now look, the idea of like, oh, I've discovered yeah. new life, and like it's a virus that's growing. But there's also very much a Star Trek way of going like, a bug yeah. came on board, and it's a virus that grows. And yeah. Rather than yeah, seeing yeah. the origin of Paris's burnt pot roast and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's the thing. Get in terms that weird of tone again. We we get to we do get the thing where she finds the crew, and again, that's really creepy because the crew's unconscious and everything like that. And you get that weird that bit where bugs are flying out of like Chakotay's like saw yeah. on his head. I thought that was really creepy. That was it's like Cronenbergian body yeah. horror kind of going on. That was really yeah, that gross used to and horrible. Give me such nightmares. The idea of that as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is horrible. That because that literally is a nightmarish idea of that thing of an insect or something laying its eggs inside you they are bursting out that's a horrible nightmare yeah, yeah, nightmare yeah. fuel type thing so that is all good but like you say very quickly she does run into the doctor and although it is always great to see robert picardo as yeah. the doctor because i think he's one of the strongest characters Absolutely. on the show him. Him. and he's fantastic and it's almost like we get a mini doctor episode within this yeah. episode with the flashback that flashback is long. It's really it's long. Really extended. And it's, I was watching it kind of going like. <sighs> and what are we yeah. learning here apart from the basics? Because the doctor was think, already telling her. Yeah, because well. you sort of think. It's, it's probably because they're like, oh, we don't want him to just explain this to her. But like, or that they didn't have enough material to like. They felt they didn't have enough material to have like Janeway mm. wandering around the ship alone. Could have been so a true bottle episode, yeah. Yeah. But so you have this. Sort of, it's the Doctor's story now, and it's about his kind of, I don't know, it's sort of neither one thing nor the other. It's not like the Doctor, because at first, because again, like watching it, you sort of slightly forget what the, the nature of the flashback is. I'm like, oh, is this the Doctor's fault? It's, did he make a choice 
which allowed this to happen. But mm. that's not what happens because no. he tries to bring the virus on board and they're like, no, don't do that. And then it comes on board accidentally. <laughs> but like, if he had made the choice to do it, then at least you go, right, I know why you're giving me his perspective now. Yes. Because it, this is his fault. Yeah. But it's like an episode with an idea but no theme. Like it's not sort of really about mm. anything. Yeah. And then it kind of remembers it's not about yeah. anything and, and then tries shit. to be about <laughs> something and then you're like... Ah. It's all a bit of a much and muchness. Well, it's yeah. like you say, they clearly made a decision. Like I could imagine Baron Barrow like writing this episode and going, okay, now she's running to the Doctor and the Doctor's got to tell her what happened. But I don't want to do boring exposition. So instead I will do this flashback which is better than he, just him saying like, oh, this, 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 and this. But I think it's almost him miscalculating how much time that would have taken up. Because it's like that thing of, like you say, you can actually dispense that information of what's happened really fast. You could just go, yeah. this happened, that's it. Now let's get on with it. Whereas this goes 20 minutes. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, think, I think there's possibly an element to which they were thinking, okay, well, if we just have him get rid of that in a line she's then off doing exactly what she was doing with Neelix, except now with the Doctor. Yeah. How are we evolving this? Because ultimately, like, we spend most of that time in the flashback and then five minutes solving the problem. Because, it, yeah, I suppose mm. it's also to... It's also to exposit that he's developed a vaccine. He just has no means of yes. dispensing it. Yeah. But the whole, like, um, oh, I tried to dispense it, but they kept going for my thermal emitter. <laughs> Is it because it displays infrared radiation or something and they're into that? But, like, it always felt a bit like, oh, sure they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, as he's hiding under the thing, and like, are you not going to try a bit harder? Um, I mean, you managed to round back the whole... Wh anyway, um, did you not, like, manage to inject one person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not one even person? one. Like, um, is that bit, well, they're, they're meant to be trapped on, like, a different deck, isn't it? And that yeah. deck has become completely infested, so you can't get there. Thing well, too. no, he was in the canteen and he was trying to. Uh, yes, yeah, he was. Tom, and then he got. And then he got zapped, and so he's like, "I had to go. I couldn't." And it's like, "Well, you couldn't just quit on the way as you were sprinting out the door." Just do the one thing. Well, I didn't even quite get because I was like, "How are they getting him?" Because he's like a hologram. Like, what's that about? Like, I didn't get that car passed It's the emitter, by. so he's got. Oh, his, right, he's got okay. a mobile because in the earlier seasons of Star Wars, he couldn't leave the medical center. Right. Medical center. He couldn't live leave the med bay or whatever the fuck it's called. So a um, sick bay. Um, and then they built him this mobile emitter, meaning he could wander freely around the ship. Right. Um, hard light, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hard light. And so, um, and then uh, they, they went for that because it's generating infrared radiation or something. Right, okay. Uh, but I was almost like, I just see, I think I didn't even quite understand. I'm like, well, how do they get that? I don't even get it. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah. but... It's all like, oh, this is how we kept him under lock and key. So the, yes, the purpose yeah. of the flashback, I think, is like, oh, and he's developed a vaccine. Okay, fine. And then they have to find a way to dispense it. And yeah, and the very topical. The, do oh, the, the, the poor doctor's a child minister the vaccine <laughs> and can't do it. It's being stopped at every turn. Also, I did make a note about like, oh god, doctor enters my old disused mine and comes back with world destroying virus. <laughs> oh, no. It's like, oh, did you go into the bat caves there, Robert? <laughs> well, that um, that mine. That's another thing of going when I saw that 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 mine is ridiculous to me like the lights the little light bulbs they they look like the kind of light bulbs you buy down morrison's like yeah. uh, you know, just, i'm like literally this just looks like what why are they not why is this not a future mine yeah it's like oh yeah because it's one of their other corridors redressed to look yeah, like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. rocks isn't it <laughs> it's the thing where there's no even attempt to make them look futuristic that this annoys is a me mine. it does of like it literally is just a, it is just a light at least do something Thing, like paint it, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, yeah, 
But um, yeah, that whole thing. So it's it's interesting because Matt, I remember when the pandemic first happened, you were like, "We should do an episode where we talk about uh, Starship episodes with viruses in them." Oh, right. Like and I kind of shut you down, going, "Oh, every cunt will be doing that." Like, <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. like, oh, like that's what. But we have randomly started talking about an episode which has a kind of you know a, mm-hmm. a pandemic kind of element. Yeah. Um, a try and administer vaccines there for that. So we have done it in the end. There are quite a few pathogen episodes there's always like aliens who are like trying to eradicate other aliens with pathogens i think there's an episode is it called night of voyager where they oh yeah they're in this void which has lasted for like eight months or something they've all got sad <laughs> yes <laughs> and captain janeway's gone all commander kurtz as, and like you know is sitting in her room going like why the dark am i the darkness <laughs> but then they also find this species am i confusing two episodes i think they find this species void dwellers like who are being pathogenized by junk traders who are like dumping toxic waste into the right, void or something and it's like you've right. got to stop them from killing us the 90s environmental environmentalism yeah, 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 yeah no but this is this one is very like i went into the back caves and brought back some sort of sars um thing <laughs> yeah, um, yeah and again you were so right in terms of that thing of going because it it offers that idea which makes total character sense in terms of the doctor not quite getting going being fascinated by the very being, oh, we can bring this back. We we need to do some study on this, and then being like, no, like we'll fucking get infected by it, mate. And that's a good thing to be like, yeah, of course, the doctor wouldn't really understand or immediately feel that because he's not human. Over that, and it's like, his first yeah. away mission. They set up this whole idea. He's so excited, and he's so he yes. wants to do a good job, yeah, and like yeah. he's so excited that he's found new life. And you're like, <laughs> and then he takes it back to the oh no, he let you out one yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the yeah, thing. Yeah. It would have been so much more interesting in character way, and it had so much more conflict to it yeah. if he. He had to, if he'd like ignored orders yeah. and gone, oh no, I'm going to bring it back secretly, yeah. and then it goes wrong. But actually, it's like it's almost like we, why even have that moment there of him going like him you know, doing yeah, yeah, yeah. the Ash and Alien thing and being like, well, I'm going to secretly do something. Yes, you know, it feels like maybe it was supposed to be that, and then they're like, hang on, but like. You, you, you know there is an argument like oh, it just becomes a hat on a hat like there's too yeah. much going on here like yeah, if it's the yeah, do- yeah. if this doctor's sort of moral Rubicon mm-hmm. what, like what, why are we only introducing it halfway through the episode mm-hmm. so that I think or maybe the actor was like I don't I don't think the doctor <laughs> would fucking do that and they go okay it just comes in by accident yeah. then yeah maybe that was it because you, when, when the story sets it up to be one thing and then it suddenly turns into another I'm always like did the actor hate it because <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. that's you sometimes get that when you're like it looks very much like you're supposed to be telling story A but you're not and like the actor hated it. Oh yeah, lots of corridor wandering in yeah. this episode. Like you kind of literally, and there's a moment where Janeway gives the Doctor a very long set of directions. Well, including a reference to Section Thirty One. Oh, re- is that is that where the reference is? Yeah. What so she, so she says uh, like, get into Jeffrey's tube, turn left at Section Thirty One, then go right, and then go up the stairs. Whatever. But that that makes it sound like Section Thirty One is just has an office. <laughs> No, no, she's, she's just like, you know, section A, B, it's just, it's, a, right, it's an Easter egg. Okay, it's, an, yeah. it's just an Easter egg. Um, <laughs> but like, I was like, this is a really protracted bit. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Really committed to like the section 31 reference, which I only get now, like 400 years later. And like I say, it does sound like it's literally just, oh yeah, section 31 randomly have like an office down on deck 30. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, it's like, and also it made me think, because it's a really long set of directions. 
do you remember the thing at the end of Discovery Season 3 where it suddenly seems like the ship is as big as like a planet or something? Oh, they're fucking in, like, hell. The when, lift, when the turbo lift suddenly moves through time and space and I was like, shut up. Yeah, it's like a city. Yeah. But with the amount of direction she's given it does make it sound like it is vast. Going like, yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, well, it would like, be. Yeah. It would be absolutely fucking... In- but, no, but I think it's also like meant to be sort of making a point about how he's like nerdily like memorising the ship's layout and he's able to finish the sentence and go, like, oh, I know where I'm going and it's all... Yeah, but it it is weird. I feel like it's all there to have like you know turn left to section two, go left there, and then turn right to section thirty one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's all about that really. Yeah. So we come down to the final showdown between <laughs> Janeway and the uh, the giant um, kind of virus bugs, and this is where things get really silly for me. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it, the final they, showdown. They, I think this is where they kind of give up a bit. They they properly do a. We've solved it. Like they look at the camera and go, "It's fixed. Stop complaining about it. We fixed the problem. What <laughs> we do you need mean? To be out now. <laughs> we need to end the episode. It's time to leave and go home. And we have solved the problem. You know, the, the thing makes sense. Okay, we're going to. We can't inject everybody, so we're going to have to like pump it out as a gas. And I'm like, yeah, that makes that's a really good plan. So they're both trying to get to environmental control separately. The doctor gets caught in the holo- no in the shuttle deck somehow, and he has to end up holding up in a shuttle. She gets to environmental controls, but then the tack tack blow it up. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, we're purifying your ship because it's covered in virus. And she's like, no, 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 wait, we have a vaccine. And he's like, oh, cool. Okay, well, <laughs> you do that then. And then she's like, shit, the environmental controls are buggered. Don't worry, I'm going, I've just, with like some sellotape and a, and I want some baked beans from my backpack. <laughs> bits. I've made a, I've made a little bomb full of... This will get everywhere it needs a to get. Vac- a va- vaccine full of bomb. The one clever thing <laughs> is like, oh, they like infrared radiation, so they, they turn on the holodeck and give them a shitload of holodeck victims. Yeah, fuck those so holodeck all the virus like, flies into the holodeck. But the thing that doesn't make sense to me is that like they have got at, been at pains to establish that the virus isn't just a few big blobs. It's exponentially our favourite word in 2021 spreading because it keeps popping up people's necks like everyone who's been bitten is now like mm. themselves generating thousands of virus babies like and so when she summons all the big grown-ups into the holodeck and then throws in the canister and blows them up then it's all like the happy news that comes like oh, I've done it you've purified the ship <laughs> and the doctor from the shuttle base all the all the virus part, uh, macrocosms are gone and I'm like no they're not they're, they're still being pumped out by your <laughs> yeah, fucking this is in she the ventilation yeah it's not in the ventilation she has not put it in through exactly just blew up a holodeck <laughs> you killed a few of the big ones and then it's like to the tactic ah oh, well done you've purified your ship but you haven't <laughs> you can't just tell me that it's because it flies in the face of everything it's just done and it, like it's properly looking at you going shh it's fine. It feels like, yeah, that. they must have known that to a degree, hence given the Doctor that very specific line of being like, oh yeah, yeah they're all going, it's fine. Yeah, che- like they, they've really done that. If you run it, if, if you run at the wall fast, they've sort of nine and three yeah. quarters the story. If you run at the wall fast <laughs> enough, you'll go through. Like, no one it, can say anything about this because we had the Doctor say it's fine, it's yeah. fine, yeah. Uh, the movie I always think of is that the Jeremy Renner Bourne movie. Is it the Bourne Legacy? Bourne Legacy, where if yeah. you Where I was like, wow, if you really go fast enough, <laughs> you can pretend to make sense. Because I remember, I just have such a vivid memory of watching that film going, cool, cool, yeah, this is fun, this is fun. And at the end going, what the fuck was that about? (laughs) It's the entire movie about him, like, getting off drugs. Yeah, so, like, then, like, I apply that to, like, every story now. If it goes fast enough and fast enough, it goes, oh, oh, well, well done. We've just, ah, that you're like, oh, yeah, they've solved it. Until you, like, go to the fridge afterwards and go, what the fuck? Like, isn't the whole point that it's growing, that new Mm. macrocosms are emerging 
every second from every from all what two thousand crew members next. So like, no, you haven't fucking blown anyway. Stupid Jane. <laughs> <laughs> but Liza, I mean that that knife fight. She basically has the giant insect uh, virus yeah. blob. Is just embarrassing. It reminded me of JCVD punching a snake in the face from Hard Target. Like <laughs> that silly. Like yeah, yeah she looked. she has a boss battle with like one of the big macrocosms and yeah, yeah. is rolling on the floor with it and avoiding the needle. Yeah, injector stabber and thing. And then she stabs it with her knife from her backpack of bits. It's like gives it a real look of like you've been my nemesis, bitch. Um, <laughs> and like, I was like, it's a shame that like you're giving it the good old Ripley stare, but it's not your um. It's not your alien. It's yeah. not quite the xenomorph, is it? No, really. No. It's one of those things where I just look at any of that stuff yeah. where they started using CG a lot in late nineties TV. Uh, where I was just, oh god, I so wish they'd done it practically because <laughs> like, yeah. it would have looked so much better now. Even if it was a guy in a fucking suit, it would have still looked better now. I'd like this, to like, watch. Yeah. Um... I'd like to watch some of the Species 8472 stuff now because I found that so frightening as a kid, but that is all CG. Oh, no. So I bet you it would look terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the way yeah, that the yeah. Borg never looked terrible because yeah. they looked like real mutilated people. Yeah. Because <laughs> they yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the little epilogue to um, Macrocosm, like when she's sort of painting and they're like, we're off skiing. Do you want to come? And she's like, oh, no, I've, I've had enough of a workout. And that's kind of it. And she's like, how are the crew? Oh, they're fine. <laughs> yeah, all, all recovered. All recovered. And she's like, oh, I'm gonna... He's like, oh, some of them reported some post-viral queasiness. And for a second, I thought he was going to say, some of them reported, like, you know, six months' worth of, like, un- unremitting fatigue. And <laughs> look at the camera and go, oh, no, the sign of things to come. But she's like, oh, let's take a day off. But she's like, one day. Yeah. Only one day. Yeah. Back to fucking work some, after that. some R&R. Then and... neck holes will be fine. I'm yeah, sure. well, yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, well, yeah, sure, a fucking neck recovery. Yeah, because I... they've given them an antigen. And I was like, what is... An, so is that like an antiviral because it's not like a vaccine so this is the thing as well it's like okay so have you vaccinated them have you made them impervious to future infection or have you cured them of this one mm. and meaning that if there's still anything left they could still get reinfected I, I didn't understand the science of this <laughs> I have to say especially like after the antigen bomb I'm like okay so you've killed the few viruses in the holodeck but like it's not in the environmental controls. The whole point is... Yeah, I'll, I'll never get over it. I found that idea of them invading the holodeck really funny as well. Because when it just suddenly cut to, like, a different thing, I was like... Because they kind of go, like, oh, we've got to kind of basically do something to distract them or something like that. And when it cut, it looked like... What's that pleasure planet called it? Riser, isn't it? That um, they keep going to. It looked like that. Let's just get to it looked, And I was like, they just randomly go around and go, yeah, <laughs> fuck you. Like, yeah. uh, I, I think, well, cause, I mean, I did like, you know, they had established that it's attracted to infrared radiation. And then they yes. were like, oh, the holodeck is pure, you know, purely... In, and, which is like, well, why it goes for the mobile emitter on the, on the holographic doctor's arm. But yeah, then they're, it's like, oh, they're attracted to infrared radiation. We can just lure them in the holodeck. Which is fine. I just feel like all you needed was some sci-fi gumps. And then we also got it into the environmental controls. And that's how yeah. we killed all of the... Yeah, but it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I just... Yeah, I was like, it was just... I, you sort of... Your jaw drops going, wow, you really are just trying to, like, convince <laughs> me that you've solved this. And I'm like, you haven't! <laughs> um, it's a proper sort of, like... <clears throat> unless I've really missed something. But I went back and, like, kept rewinding the last, like, five minutes. Going, no, no, that is the plan. Is to just throw an antigen bomb into the holodeck and kill some of the big ones and then go it's all done now somehow that worked yeah and I find it really funny when they were like oh we've got we've programmed the hologram characters to react to be like oh like you know to the things like I was just like wait but what I don't would these forests really understand that the reactions didn't seem that important to them (laughs) at first did they they weren't like oh yes (laughs) um 
But uh, yeah, that final little epilogue scene is classic Star Trek of that era. Oh, they're fine. Like, anyway, do you want to come skiing? No. Yeah, yeah. And he, I think they put we'll that line the in the before we about thing. working out <laughs> just for... I, I think K. Wolgu demanded that to be like, look, I had to work out really hard for this episode. Put that line in so yeah. people know. Like, oh, yeah. of a workout. <laughs> yeah, and, and I kind of really wanted to... Because it ends with her just like painting and drinking a coffee and having a lovely evening. <laughs> and you're like, I really wish that like the last shot you just had a... And then she just looked away, <laughs> and then it ended. Not again! They're like, are they still there? Because no. yeah, that would have hinted like you know, oh that's um, oh shit, I didn't fix it. That's another day's problem. Because yeah, all of a sudden they didn't fix it all. But I'm sure by the time we come back next week, they'll have It'll done some more be, stuff off, some... off camera. Clearly, the pitch was let's do Alien. Like, and then they put a lot of effort into coming up mm-hmm. with, I think, actually a good idea for an alien. Mm-hmm. Like, the macrocosm is a really cool yeah. idea. And I think they spend an awful lot of time doing the backstory, the purpose of which is confusing. You know, is it the Doctor's story? Is it not? Mm-hmm. Is it all about expositing the fact that he has the vaccine so that it, or, or the antigen so that it doesn't just make that feel like a, too much of a, like a fait accompli or a deus ex vaccine when she arrives? And luckily the Doctor has one. You know, we mm. have to go through the effort of telling us how he got there. And then the ending has just crept up on them and suddenly they have to solve the problem mm. in a very sort of Doctor Who-y way is that like you, you have all this lovely setup and then suddenly you shout at the moon and it's over. <laughs> Doctor, yeah. Doctor delivers a monologue, waves a sonic screwdriver at something and it's all fixed. <laughs> Except that at least you're like, oh, you know, this, like the, the solution hilariously yeah. just doesn't actually work. Mm. But then they're going, no, it did. <laughs> Trust <laughs> yeah. us. Yeah, I did like that it was a big old virus rather than just like a random alien species. And it did it, that was something that felt quite Red Dwarf to me, the idea of big virus. Yeah, like some of they'd yeah, be yeah, fighting. It's yeah, grown to, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and they are they are scary. That floaty, buzzy, yeah. I still find them quite scary. But uh, the opening, I think the first like fifteen minutes is mm. much better. Yeah, before you yeah. see them is always is that thing. It's funny talking about Dot Two in the old school kind of Dot Twos. You would usually get a first episode where they're just like wandering about somewhere, kind of empty, kind of just investigating, and that's always better than mm-hmm. what you see later. I think we actually have to work just concentrates on kind of like, yeah, you can set up a mood and atmosphere and then before you have to lean on the actual special effects or anything like yeah. that. Have we got any final thoughts about Macrocosm, Matt? Uh, I had a really fun time with this. Yeah, it's it's got those holes in as, as we've discussed and I think that kind of adds to its charm as this kind of Almost bottle episode, little fun action adventure. Yeah, I think it's a really great highlight for Janeway. And yeah, it's a shame Neelix didn't get to do. Yeah, payoff. He doesn't get a payoff. Yeah, does he yeah. come back? Do we even see him? I can't remember. I, can't, um, I don't think we do. He gets. We don't even see him. So he, he, he get, no, because he gets dragged off and you expect then that when she comes into the canteen the first person she might see is Neelix and yeah. we go, oh right so he's been taken here and at least then for, for like in terms of plot tissue for the audience they go, oh he has been yeah, taken here okay. they've taken them all here because at first you think oh is this just everybody who was in the canteen this morning mm, yeah. but you don't see him yeah <laughs> yeah that's very he true just... he doesn't really get a wrap up yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. he died yeah he, he, yeah, he <laughs> does just, I'm it's another parallel dead. universe yeah. version yeah. next episode they've been swapping out everyone every time they die <laughs> They don't get to pay off the whole ambassador thing. He doesn't mm-hmm. get to sort of tie up any knot at the end. Yeah, even if it was just like, who burnt my pan? You know, <laughs> yeah, because fucking Tom Paris and the fucking pot. He should have come back at the end when the tap tap come back. Yeah, it should have oh, had been. The, the day yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That should have. Yeah, happened. we have to. We have to give him a vaccine because he needs to be able to communicate with the tap tap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we have to revive Neelix. We have to revive Neelix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. It's definitely fun. I checked and I've only I've still only seen like ten episodes of Voyager the show and some of the ones other ones we've been talking about earlier in the episode today really interesting to check out Timeless is Timeless. I think the best episode 
There's one that I we used to watch so much on VHS, but it's problematic as fuck. <laughs> Is it called Waking Dreams? And uh, the ship are a bit sort of macrocosmy. They're all taken over by a species who like live in a dream world. So the entire crew are knocked out, and Chakotay is like the only one kind of left awake. Oh, and he with no. the doctor probably, and um, because he is Native American, of course. This is where it becomes like problematic, problematic. Yeah, he's able to lucid dream by using like totems, right? And so he's able to control his dreams, communicate with the spirit world because he's fucking magical. It's, it's, I was like, oh no! But um, if you can, if you can sort of survive that, <laughs> that uh, we used to watch that loads as a kid, as kids before we were like, whoa, this is some stereotypical <laughs> shit going on here. But then he has to like, he, like, he on his own has to like go and. Uh, try and save the crew from these species that only live in their dreams um, which is quite a cool idea the worst episodes are where sure. they they go to ireland under holiday oh, well, i mean it already sounds worrying uh, and it's oh, fucking God. awful have you a man waiting for you at home no are you looking for one <laughs> why do you have somebody in fairhaven not unless you fancy a pig farmer oh not my type uh, threshold, obviously, yeah, and then there's sure. an episode where Chakotay becomes a boxer. I can't remember what it's called. But it's <laughs> That's when you know you've got too many episodes. Per it's season. absolutely fucking awful, and I think it's probably because Robert Beltran liked boxing. Right, it okay, feels like yeah. one of those. It feels like we, should, you know, the, yeah, we're in season six now, and the actors contribute ideas. <laughs> I didn't hear anything. Begin round one. A plot of course. We'll take it slow. What do you think, Chakotay? Don't you hear that? Hear what? We've got to wrap this episode up. I've had a good time. It, but it's it's been really really fun. Literally, just say in terms of macrocosm, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. It was fun, but I just wish that badass Janeway had got to fight something a bit more tactile <laughs> in her. Something best. physical. Because I think she deserved it. She does deserve it. Okay, that's it. That's it. So. I, I agree. Sophie, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you. Where can we find you online? Uh, I don't want you to. <laughs> you can find me on. You can you can find me and quickly run away in panic on Twitter at Sonic underscore Screw Up, and yeah, that's it. Everywhere else, um, everywhere, everywhere else, else your band, your band. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere else is mine and mine alone. <laughs> yeah, so very much look forward to seeing whatever you do next. Yeah, uh, yeah so in, in the right. <laughs> <laughs> the writing world uh, and your next show or whatever you end up doing because yeah like I say Loved Blood I look forward to seeing Hollington Drive as well definitely got to catch up on that and also for anyone else who wants to hear more of Sophie go and track down her episode of Pilot TV Podcast featuring uh, previous guests Boyd Hilton and James Dyer because that is a great podcast episode really really fun stuff that with lots of views on TV and not just Star Trek <laughs> on that. So until then, good health people. Until good health. Down. <laughs> until until that's that's down. Down. <laughs> <laughs>